The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Chronicles. And in case my quick stumbling didn't get you just now, this this is the Comic Chronicles. And I am your host, Rodicat, and you can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at News News Need on Twitter. You can find me at uh, CB Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. And uh, the sound effects that you have just heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn. One agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? I love that beat. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, this here podcast comes uh, to you. Well, I wouldn't say brought to you by Bob, but that's not, that's a lie. Uh, you can find this here podcast on the Cold Slither Podcast Network. That's uh, CSPN.us. Do it today. Uh, and this, you can also find this podcast on your podcast perusal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or the Cold Slither, the Cold Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. Uh, and tonight's show is also being brought to you by coffee, of which I am very much having a cup right now we're not being sponsored by the particular place i got it from so we won't talk about that but it's a good i, I was about to say the way i'm feeling i could use some too yeah yeah it's kind of one of them days <laughs> it is kind of one of them days uh but as uh as i do this yeah hopefully, boop, there we go yep <laughs> um what was i gonna say Oh, we record every Thursday night, 9.30-ish p.m. on YouTube.com slash TheClickNation and also Twitch.tv slash Chronicles, all one word. You know, go over there and check us out. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You know, give a, give a clicky, clicky, lucky, lucky, uh, smash that, all that kind of good stuff. So, folks. Yes. Yeah, make sure to click and subscribe as well. Subscribe to notifications. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube feed. Just subscribe. Yeah. Uh, Folks, we are going to get into some comic books. But first, we are going to give some, give a brief impression on, um, 
newly re released Netflix show. Actually, well, so two shows just got released on Netflix. One, Messages of the Universe Revelation, and two, Transformer, uh, uh, Transformers War for Cybertron uh, Trilogy. King Kingdom just King came out. Yeah. War for Cybertron Trilogy Kingdom just came out. But 870 hasn't seen it, so we're going to hold off impressions of that until he gets a chance to check that out. But we are right. going to. But we are. We're going to actually talk about Masters of the Universe Revelations really quick. Nothing spoilerific because uh, it just came out the, this past week. So just you know, hey, what would I? Yeah, kinda... just really, really broad impressions. No, really need no, no, no real need for an extra spoiler warning on top of the spoiler warning that's on this. Uh, if you are listening via podcast form, exactly. but um, I will say that as someone who does not have the best you know the the, the most uh, ingrained memories of the original masters of the universe and the original he-man from the early 80s you know i i don't have like the biggest attachment in terms of the toys all i ever really had was i think a he-man and maybe a men at arms mm. uh but it wasn't my favorite toy line. I did appreciate the cartoons. I thought they were fun. I know that my sister got into She-Ra, so that was kind of like the companion cartoon to He-Man. And so there was, you know, at least something else that we had, uh, you know, that that um, that that I'm sure several siblings probably had in common. Indeed. You know, that, that that Masters of the Universe expanded universe. Um, but I can tell you that as someone who doesn't have the biggest connection or the, or the strongest connection to this, I walked in fairly cold and I appreciated I appreciated the cartoon. These first uh, there are five episodes. No spoiler there. This first what we what we learn is the first half of this season Um I appreciated that it took a different approach. I appreciated that there was definitely some modern storytelling and modern story um, tropes or modern story elements that were being incorporated into this. So it wasn't um, it definitely wasn't something, you know, straight out of the early 80s. I will tell you that much. Um, I definitely appreciated it for that. Um some of the voices are a little jarring. Yeah. Uh, we talked about, we were talking about that before the show. Right. We were just talking about that. Some of the choices <clears throat> and some of the actors who make some of the choices in terms of the voices mm -hmm. there, you know, it, what ends up happening is that they're recognizable. And as, as soon as you realize who it is, you're like, well, I don't know if that was the best choice in terms of actor and choice of voice that they decided to employ. Right. Like I said, we're keeping this like super broad stroke. We're not getting into like the weeds here, but that was my overall impression. I think Roddy Cat agrees with me on some of those points, but I'll let him tell you more. Yeah, like I, I agree uh, about the, uh, the the choices of acting actors concentration, and uh, unlike, well, actually, kind of like Agent Seventy. Like, yeah, I I don't think I had too many other toys, if any of them, but the, that, but I definitely remember the cartoon heavily. Like I do remember seeing the the, uh, the toys in the store and the, the reading the little placards, uh, well, not the little placards, but the little back uh, the little backboards that they were on or whatnot, and um, you know, going to Burger King, and getting the, the the Happy Meal with the, I mean, not the Happy Meal, getting the, the little kids meal with the glasses, and you know, the stuff around 
uh, the He-Man. That was definitely there. Like, I remember getting the He-Man glasses from, from Burger King and, and a couple of little toys here and there. And uh, never got Snake Mountain or, or Grayskull or any. Or I don't even think I even got He-Man now that I think about it. But, you know, like I said, uh, those... Uh, you know. Yeah, I was about to say we weren't we weren't well off enough to get Snake Mountain or Castle Grayskull. Right. I mean, that was you know we're, it's not as expensive as the USS Flag, but it's, we're getting into that area of uh, toy acquisition. You know, exactly. Um, so, but you know, my my affinity with the uh, show was similar to uh, Agent Seventy. So you know, the the voice work in the show, you know, in going into this Revelation show. I, it's kind of couched in that kind of nostalgia a little bit, so and I recognize that, but also still recognize the fact that yeah, some of the choices in voice work and voice acting, voice actor was kind of a little similar. Like I get it, they got a couple of names here and then like don't get me wrong, like Skeletor, sure, you know, I mean Mark Hamill, you can't go wrong with that, and and you, and you didn't for the for the time, you know, for uh, what happened on that end. Um. I slightly agree with the the modern choices of how to handle some stuff, uh, as Agent Seven said. However, some of the choices in writing, uh, which is kind of more of a, a writing sense, kind of threw me off. Um, uh, uh, in, in that, uh, but also, oh, and I guess I should go ahead and say that. So there is a companion book that came out about two weeks ago. Uh, from I think it was from Dark Horse, I believe it was, or something like that. It was uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation number one. And while you don't necessarily need to read that, it will um, it will broaden some some uh, some some reference uh, to a couple of things that happen, uh, or at least yeah yeah one two particular things that happen uh, in the course of this sh- uh, show. So, if you are a fan enough, you may want to seek that out. You know, um, like I said, the there are certain things you got to look for in in in, in, this, in that situation. Like, hey, you want to hear? I have the power. You want to hear it? You know, you want to hear it done in a certain way. And knowing who the actor is behind that, I was like, eh, okay, they could have got somebody better for that. You know, I don't agree with like I know there's some real stupid scuttlebutts about it's too much Tila, it's too much too woke. Like, okay, given what the arc is, that that whole thing made a whole lot of sense. Like, it made sense to do that. You know, it almost almost felt like they were kind of setting her up in a in a different way. And given what happened at the end of it, that could very well be the big be the thing. But I can't see how that's the case given the name of the show. Um. Which I know that's that's going to sound a certain way, but once you see it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, and there's no even guarantee what happened at the end of the, the end of it is what it is, you know, because it's always a swerve and uh, in, in things like that. Uh, but that being said, like, yeah, I didn't have that many problems with it outside of what I just mentioned. Like, what's that? Uh oh. I was muted. muted. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. I was about to say. No, no, no. That was that was my fault because I muted myself so that I could do something technical on my side. I was just going to say that um, what we have to bear in mind is that we are only halfway through. You right. know, we have reached the halfway point of the story. So, uh, and that is yeah, that is that is go- that is full knowledge of that going in. Yeah, 
Right. So ultimately, once you once you bear that in mind, there's still an entire half season, another five episodes, presumably, of story to have unfold to see if Kevin Smith and company can stick the landing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can. Ju- I'll just add very quickly that. Uh, I was very happy for uh, Mark Bernardin, who wrote episode three and uh, got one of his it was a quirky line that I kind of thought, you know, he he, he made mention of it in social media Mm -hmm. and on the Fat Man Beyond podcast that there was a line that he did not expect would stay in the final script and in the in, in the final show, but it ended up making the final cut. And when I heard it, it sounded so offbeat and so maybe not random. Random's not the right word. Definitely offbeat, I think, is the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And when I heard it, and when I heard uh, it's a Skeletor line, so that's a big hint. When I heard Mark Hamill as Skeletor, who unfortunately does sound a little too much like the Joker. Yeah. Um, you know, but we'll get to that in a second. When I heard that, I felt very good for Mark Bernardin. Because, you know, that's like one of those weird lines that, you know, it's like an Easter egg for him, but it turns into an Easter egg for the rest of us as well. But I guess well, getting back to assuming, what, about to assuming you watched that show. I mean, you watched the show that you're referencing the, to know that, I guess, also. Oh, absolutely. It's episode three. No, no, no. Meaning Fat Man Beyond or, or what he was doing. Oh, no. Yeah. No, but he also he also put it on social media. Oh, OK. Yeah, he did. He did both. Gotcha. He did both. He mentioned it. He mentioned it in the previews on Fat Man Beyond, you know, like when I say previews, you know, during episodes of Fat Man Beyond in the lead up to uh, the release of Masters of the Universe, as well as his own personal social media. So, you know, he made he made note of it and put that out there. And when we all when we all finally heard the line, we're like, oh, okay, that's pretty fun. But um, but getting to what I think you bumped on as well was Mark Hamill's choices as Skeletor and and what and what the the inflection and the voice that he tried to put uh, into the character. I mean, I I felt like going into it, I expected as much, so I didn't really bump on that that much. Like I'm not saying because you know Mark Hamill has range, so I didn't not saying that he couldn't have done anything different. Um, but like I said, I really wasn't expecting him. Like I wasn't really expecting him to go full Skeletor either. Because I feel like he could probably do a, a, a fairly, you know, fairly decent um, uh, uh, Skeletor, classic Skeletor, I should say. Um, but yeah, I did notice, uh, um, especially going into that last episode. But I don't know the line that you, you were talking about, by the way, uh, that uh, Mark Bernard wrote. But I know, but that kind of brings me to something, some stuff that I did wrong. Like I said, with some of the writing, was that. Th- like yeah, okay, it's a kids show and it's supposed to be kind of punny here and there, and it's like really some of the some of the puns that it kind of went for, and it's like uh, you can <laughs> like there's some real obvious puns that they did that they made that's like you can you know you you know you could have just left some of that stuff out really, um, like even one guy recognized it as because like one character was like said the line was like what we were all thinking it, you know, but it's like yeah okay, right you know. Which you know, me saying that you you probably know which one, what what I'm talking about. I'm assuming probably it's been I, I you know I I it's been roughly a week since I watched it a little right. bit less so my memory is a little hazy at this point right. regarding all the it. details. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, 
I, I kind of laughed at some of the things that I do remember. I, I laugh now at some of the things that I do remember. Like, um, there is a, a, a brief character moment that is straight out of the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. Uh, you know, like I said, not trying to spoil it. Uh, you know, mild, mild spoilers at most here. Right. But yeah, there's a, there's definitely a, a you know, I, I felt like saying, run, oh no, fly, you fools, right <laughs> after. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Which... once I dropped that hint, that, 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 that solidified what my, what I was, uh, what I was referencing. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I, and... Actually, you know what? That, that's actually bringing something that's like so. Not to go into like so. We could just kind of uh, end it off after this, uh, uh, after we uh, after we mentioned. But um, yeah, there was there were some choices of things that uh, some actions that happened uh, that was like, huh? I, I mean, I I get it, sure, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it's like, oh, that, that's the thing that happened. Okay. <laughs> what was your What was your favorite thing so far? It could be acting. It could be choices. It could be story elements. Whatever. Yeah, I feel like I can't say acting. Um, I'll tell you what my I'll tell you what my favorite is, and it's actually acting. Okay. Cersei Lannister as Evil Lynn. Mm, yes. Yeah. That was phenomenal. I was like, oh my goodness, Lena Headey. Mm-hmm. You know, like because you can recognize her voice, but it's still not Cersei Lannister. Right. It's not. It's not Queen Gorga. Gorgo, I think from Three Hundred. Right. Uh, I think that was her character's name. Right. But the point is, it's recognizably Lena Headey, and I'm like, wow, that was spot on. Good job, guys. Right. With that casting and her choices in that role. Right. So in that, I was like, okay, I like. I, well, it's there was some little bit of predictability going on here in a couple of, in a couple of cases. And that was one of them not to go not to be spoiler, uh, not to spoiler in that, but I, you know what I'm, you know, I already know what I'm talking about with that. Oh, you right mean there. in terms of the story element? Yes. Um, yes. but I was like, okay, but, uh, but I like where they was kind of going with that. And, um, um, and actually that kind of brings back into something else I, that I didn't necessarily bumped on, but I thought was kind of funny. So in the title, in the, in the, um, not the title treatment, um, but in the first episode, uh, and this is not so much of a spoiler cause it's like, it's kind of right up front where you get, um, what normally would be the theme song and, you know, the, um, you know, the opening theme song and, and the, uh, the images therein. I was like, whoever made up that, um, those, that, uh, that sequence, <laughs> clearly, clearly wanted to be like you know what if this was in, if this was the eighties this was badass this is what I would have wanted because there's a shot of um, Skeletor and Evil Lynn, uh, which never shows up again. But I was like, oh yeah, this is some this is some out of eighties kids uh, dream <laughs> dream mm-hmm. sequence because it was like okay if you had had that on somebody's album cover like yeah I, I could totally see it some some eighties album cover. Right. And there was a, there was a little bit of that coming up, which you know it's Kevin Smith's baby, so you kind of expect some of that to be the case. Um, but that that was kind of funny to see. I was like, really? Okay, sure, that was a choice. Um, that being said, though, favorite moment, I'm not sure if I can really pick one out, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it could be anything favorite. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a moment in the show. But right. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Continuous continually disappoints me about. 
these revival cartoons, the, mm-hmm. you know, these these property, these revi- these cartoons that have revived '80s properties, and it continue continuously disappoints me. It's the lack of the catchy theme song, which was like, yeah. you know, to me at least half of the appeal. Because I still remember the He-Man theme song, He-Man. You know, it's like it's overly dramatic. It's bombastic. But that's what was so fun about it. And none of these shows, uh, you know, I'll I'll throw Transformers into the mix. I'll throw, you know, uh, the the, the rebooted Voltron into the mix. None of their, their scores, none of their theme songs are all that catchy. And it's a shame. If they have one at all. Right. It, right. That's an excellent point. If they even have one, they're not catchy at all. They're just not. And it's a shame because if we were doing like flashcards or like one of those uh, iPhone games, you know, those those mobile games where like the name popped up and you had to sing the song. If it said Voltron uh, uh, theme song, mm-hmm. right? Let's say if it was like a, a cartoon theme song contest and it said voltron you think i wouldn't be able to sing that now of course i could not you know uh uh you know uh uh uh, you know even you know uh even considering i literally played a snippet of it you know during you know what we call our pre-show kind of like uh discussion right you know i could sing that now hum it at least so it's a shame that uh these reboots these revivals of these 80s uh, cartoon properties don't have um, I don't know if it's a budget thing or if they just don't see the need for it they don't have these either similarly catchy theme songs or just you know something remastered or or uh, remixed right from the I, old from the old version right I feel part of it is like I, I kind of I've wondered about this for a couple of years now because it's like I wonder if it's because well people's t- attention spans are already short as it is so just, just go ahead and get right over there and they're in by, you know, by uh, by association, hey, there's more time for a story, whatever the case may be, or at least that's supposedly the justification of it, but I doubt it. Um, I mean, the the short attention span side, I could kind of see more than, hey, we got, we got more time to story. Plus, it's on, especially if it's on stuff like, you know, Netflix streaming services or whatnot, I guess that could be a justification they could make. Um, yeah, but I don't know, either, and it kind of bumps me out. Cause yeah, like you, uh, like like yeah, I miss it. It's like a good, it's like most every show that I've grown up with, you know, live action, animated, whatever, had a had a catchy theme song or something recognizable as a theme song. Um, like the closest we got right now, kind of like Mandalorian. You know, could you kind of yeah. hear, you know um, yeah you could hum it yeah you could hum it you would recognize it if you hum, you know if someone was humming it right uh, yeah that's that's a pretty good example but. Uh, you know, it's it, it's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. Very much so. But that being said, folks, um, uh, like I said, we're gonna wrapping wrapping this up. Like, hey, give it a chance. Watch it. Uh, watch Masters of the Universe Revelations. It's only the first half, like Agent Seven said earlier. So we still got another half to go. Uh, don't know when that other half is gonna come out. Um, you know, if you if you even have any kind of passing. Uh, fondness for the they definitely in a way like it's been said as like this is supposed to be a, well it, they directly said it's supposed to be a sequel to the 80s show I still don't see that honestly <laughs> I really don't it feels still more like a reboot in a way than than a, uh, than a sequel 
Um, uh, but from the first episode, you kind of get the sense that, yeah, they tried to kind of capture the feel of it, especially like the, from the toy standpoint of it. Um, because you can tell that in the, in the opening beats of the, of, uh, of the first episode and even going into the first couple of episodes, it's like, okay, Hey, this thing shows up and, you know, references to, you know, characters and toys that show up and all that kind of get mess and, um, that sort of thing. And like I said, the companion book, if you are any, have any interest in the source material or in not the source material, but in this, you may want to pick that up. Um, because uh, it does diff- give, give you a little bit of uh, extra information for for something uh, without going into anything. Um, so, that being said, folks, we're going to go into uh, talking about some comic books. Um, we're going to start off with Fantastic Four, number 34. Fantastic Four, number 34, is written by Dan Slott with art by R.B. Silva. Uh, colors by Jesus Abertov and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, our favorite Paisan. So, who letters? Um, this is the final chapter of the Bride of Doom storyline, uh, titled The Sacred Vow of Victor Von Doom. And boy, does he live up to that uh, in this. This is the immediate aftermath of uh, Victor Von Doom finding out about the um, the tryst between uh, Victorious and one Johnny Storm just prior to Victor popping the question on Victorious. You know, it's not like they were dating at the time, but he just proposed, you know, he proposed just after they consummated uh, their their particular uh, relationship, and uh, it was uh, it was a you know obviously a, a bit of uh, unfortunate timing as Dan Slott decided to make it, and uh, all of that decided to play out here in this issue, and it was uh, quite a sight to see uh, Victor really, um, in a sense, put the hammer down. Yeah. So, you know, some would argue, some would say that Victor has a propensity to be dramatic, overact to things. Now, granted, you know, in the real world situation, you know, given what happened, uh, the revelation that happened in the last issue in real life, some people kind of have a, a similar <laughs> would would probably want to uh react in a similar action let's just say to uh to the revelation that that comes out uh as agent 70 said um or at least alluded to um so you know victor's reaction not outside the realm of possibility i mean not outside the realm for him much less any you know I don't want to say normal person, but that's some, sometimes that's not necessarily normal to, you know, to at a certain, I mean, it is normal, but yeah, at a certain point it gets a little extra, but that being said, um, he's Dr. Doom. Exactly. There's no such thing as extra. (laughs) Well, I mean, his whole life is kind of extra. Let's let's be honest. Um, 
But that being but that being said, though, it's like you know what? Somebody, I feel like somebody could pick up this book, read that, like, yeah, that's kind of how it feels. <laughs> you kind of want to, like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how that would how how that could feel if you kind of had all of that, um, how the money and power and and, some, and and intelligence. Like, yeah, yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, it was. I enjoyed this read. I kind of I was waiting for this issue to come out because I was like, okay, given what happened after I finally reading uh last issue, I was like, okay, I gotta see how this um how how this plays out. And it kind of plays out how you expected it was and, and being slightly spoiled by solicits and news, you knew something was going to happen. They took luckily it was good care. Well maybe I didn't read enough of the solicits or something, but um because you know the most they said was like somebody you know, the life of one um, Fantastic Four member is going to change. And at a certain point, you was like, wait, when in reading this, like, wait, are they really going to do that to him again? Uh, and they didn't. Uh, but uh, but they did but they did the thing that's like, huh, now let's see how this is going to um, kind of play out. I honestly expected a side character to kind of come back into play and something happened with that for some reason. Um... But and I think that's still probably on the table. Now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, but uh, with given what we did get in this issue, like yeah, that was a lot of um, that was a lot, and it was good. And uh, you should definitely check this out. Like I've been just like Agent Seven. I've been enjoying um, slots run of uh, Fantastic Four, and it's for stuff like this because it kind of was like okay, here's the thing that happens, but wait, we're just gonna take it over here. <laughs> You know, and granted, is this is what happens in this book is not outside the realm of something that would have happened or has happened in the past with Fantastic Four. Like an event happens, something happens to a character that kind of changes them a little bit or uh, right. significantly for mm-hmm. who knows how long. This yeah, is. and specifically dealing with Doom as well, it kind of reminds me of I don't know if you ever read the Mark Wade, uh, uh, Mike Wieringo run on Probably. the Fantastic Four. Probably. Um, I want to say it was like early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Oh, but probably not, um, man. yeah, you might have been out of comics at that point. Yeah, but uh, definitely reminiscent of that run. Uh, you know, with something uh, with Doom kind of taking some some measure of vengeance upon a member of the FF because of mm-hmm. something. You know, because of uh, you know, kind of interfering with his uh, plans and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to say before we moved on that. Uh, this book benefits from just some amazing work by R.B. Silva on art. Yes. There's a million cool things going on. Jesus Abertov kills it on colors in this. It's a perfect compliment. There's obviously a lot of fire going on because of one element of the story, but there's just lots of great <laughs> colors left and right and i can't imagine what this would look like in old-fashioned coloring this is purely you know a delight to look at with digital coloring the way it's rendered and seeing the different hues and the different shades and the different color palette that he's using for you know even though it's it's all earthbound stuff it looks very much cosmic level uh power because part of it is cosmic level power without spoiling too much so you know, I give the, uh, the the art team a ton of credit on this book, 
and uh, this this issue wraps with you know one member of the FF at least for now changed in a, a big way mm-hmm. and also leaves uh, victorious um, in a different place not married but definitely in a different place than she was uh, at the beginning of this storyline or even at uh, or 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 from she's in a different place from where we met her not all that long ago to be honest in the right. pages of Fantastic Four. Uh, arguably, it's kind of back where she started, I would say. But you know, under the cover of hey, what what has happened in the last few issues? Um, if, if you think about it from a certain certain point of view. Because you know, especially how she and how she came into this, and and uh, you know how she got to where she was mm-hmm. uh, prior to this, it's like yeah, she kind of just kind of got reset to that status in a way. Um, right, certain change in her look, and it's the change too. in her look that I'm stressing. Yes, because that is emblematic. It reflects and is a symbol of coming a little bit further. You know, stepping a little bit further into. I guess what we thought she would be mm-hmm. when she was first introduced, but she's definitely taken a couple steps since then. And that's what this change in look uh, symbolizes. So I definitely realized that significance when I saw that. I was like, Oh, that's, that's not something I ever thought I would see. Yeah. Oh, not, 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 not in the sense that I, I ever thought that this would happen to Victorious, but just ever in the sense of reading stories about, uh, Doctor Doom for what seems like forever for me, mm. but you know, n- I never thought I would see the day. It's one of those things. Mm. I, I, I feel like at some point we probably have seen a, a similar situation before, but well, maybe not the same. Obviously, not the same situation. But uh, I feel like something, someone close to Doom, kind of did a similar thing for a halfway similar reason. I don't know, pro- but probably not. Who does know? Um, Where is Kristoff, by the way? Um, Either way, uh, so yeah, that was uh, uh, Fantastic Four uh, 34, and um, the only other thing I'm saying in passing, like, it seems that uh, Doom uh, has learned from that last broadcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, he's, uh, you know, not only is he much more in control of the broadcast, he's also uh, definitely in the, uh, the purveyor of fake news realm. Yes. Which, not surprised there, because that's kind of, you know, has been his M.O. in his country for the longest time. So, not surprised there. It's just that he got kind of got caught out there the last time. And now he's like, uh, oh. It's just like just like when network TV has a nip slipper or something like that. It's like, oh, well, we got to switch it up now to, to keep that from happening again. And he pretty much did the same thing. Pretty much, pretty much. All right, so we are, I think, done with Fantastic Four number 34. I will just say that the next issue is an anniversary issue mm-hmm. celebrating 60 years, 6-0, 60 years of the Fantastic Four. Yep, and we will have a little bit more on that in the news section, actually. So we're going to move on to sword number seven. All right, just give me a moment to advance. Actually, I'm going to scroll down to Roddy Cat's notes to get the uh, get the uh, creative team here. It's written by Al Ewing. Uh, with art by Stefano Caselli. 
and colors by color art by Proto Bunkers. Uh, Fair Cifuentes oh, Sujo. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at this. I'm like, I don't know if there's typos in there. No, there is. Uh, I forgot that I was typing it up, and I totally forgot to put the uh, the artist. Uh, hang on for a second. I will. No, Stefano Caselli, I presume, is the artist. So because I recognize the name, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, you know, this, this is uh, this is definitely a, a, a small uh, faux pas on my part, folks, because uh, got a little bit of a late start on trying to type out my own notes on this because it's you know it's been a long day. But ultimately, um, I will make sure to get... It is confirmed. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And VC's Ariana Mar as uh, the letterer. So everything else was correct. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, we'll let Roddy Cat lead with this one. Okay, well, uh, so yeah, uh, guess what, folks? Uh, Last Annihilation is definitely in effect as of this. uh, So this is the second part of, um, I believe it's the second part of uh, Last Annihilation coming out of last week's Guardian book. Um, Correct. And uh, yeah, things are not going well for folks. Uh, Things are, yeah, things are, they're in the thick of things, let's just say. (laughs) So we have uh, the mindless ones attacking on different fronts. Uh, yeah, it's a direct it's a direct continuation of the story in mm-hmm. Guardian. So if you walk into or if you if you walk into the pages of Sword, not knowing what's going on or not recognizing what's going on, you should definitely check out last week's Guardians of the Galaxy issue. Right. Um, I uh, like uh, Agent Seventy had enjoyed this issue because of um, so a couple of things that happened, uh, or one particular thing that happened. Uh, but so yeah, uh, the, their uh, Hulklings is fighting on all fronts. They had to release um, uh, Captain Glory because you knew that was going to happen some at some point. Uh, we get a call back to the end of Empire in here. Yes, uh, which I was like, oh, that makes sense. Al Ewing wrote this, and it was a direct tie. So it was like, yeah, we knew, and we knew it was going to come back up at some point. So, not surprised there, but it's like, okay, and here it is. Um, but uh, we get pretty much get an update on how things are going on all fronts with uh, Dormammu's attack on the uh, in space. Well, we get visual and some and some, um, you know, some spoken to because obviously, you know, if you read Guardians, you kind of see another side of that and you kind of see what's going on here. So, anyway, Hulkling has to kind of call out, uh, uh, kind of bring back uh, Captain Glory into the front and tries to, um, tries to shore up defenses and, and try to get help from Earth, which, uh, or, and, or try to warn Earth. But uh, as we come to find out, some things are not, um, as it seems on one side of it, because uh, um, thanks to one Abigail Brand, um, who, uh, right. who who comes in right. to help. I was going to say it basically gets Hulkling caught up on the re- on the most recent developments in Alpha Flight. Yes, you know um, most recent developments in Gamma Flight too. You know, so right. But also, it was like, yeah, uh, apparently uh, Brand is doing some beast beast level uh, machinations. Uh, Per what's going, per what had been going on in uh, X Force, in a way, uh, so it's that's kind of interesting. And on the other side of that, we get a nice conversation. Um, I say it nice loosely uh, uh, between uh, Storm and Doctor Doom, 
who, uh, yes, we just talked about in, in Fantastic Four. So he, we know he's in a couple of different places, <laughs> but he's still on Arako, um, having dinner with Storm. Right. Uh, right. This is clearly set after the events of uh, this week's issue of Fantastic Four. Right. Um, and if you recall, hmm. uh, Doom was um, in the pages of Fantastic Four setting up his galactic travels. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously having been, you know, being connected to the current Guardians of the Galaxy team and book. Right. So uh, no big surprise here, especially in the wake of the Hellfire Gala but, and the creation of, uh, of uh, Planet Araco. Right. So, uh, but on that front, we, we get a direct uh, reference to this week's uh, Fantastic Four in the, the probably the best way possible. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It was fortuitous, definitely fortuitous, that I read this issue after I read uh, this week's issue of Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here, because it was like, yeah, because you wouldn't have thought there would have been that direct to, tied to it, but, you know, there it was. There was also apparently a reference in that conversation to, uh, and I looked this up, one, uh, Uncanny X-Men 145, I believe. Yeah. Because um, I was like, wait. Did that thing that happened? Then I had to happen to do some research on it. I'm like, oh yeah, oh oh yeah, okay, that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was about to say you can recognize, you know, it's 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 a pretty memorable cover mm-hmm. that you know uh, uh, the issue that he's referring to, the, you know, the story that he's referring that that they're both referring to here in their conversation. Right. So um, so that was that was a pretty good turn of turn of uh, turn of events on that one, uh, but for the most part. Um, it's that, it's the conversation. Doom apparently knows more about Mysterio than, you know, than, um, than most people in the world knows, apparently. And I don't know, he obviously is Dr. Doom, so he has some kind of game that kind of doesn't seemingly go the way he would like it, have liked it to, uh, in the outside of the, outside of this. Um, right. Um, but, uh, like I said, this issue was pretty great for 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 what was going on in it. Like I said, it's it's kind of one of those almost like dark metal chapters in a way because like I said, things are not going well for uh, folks defending themselves against the Mamu's attack at this point. Uh, like I said, the the, the callback to Empire. Um, apparently, yeah, there was a reference to uh, the Wanda situation, but not really. <laughs> I liked how I liked how it was specifically Agent Brand that deflected. Any inquir- any further inquiry into it, mm-hmm. and just maintain some of the suspense, right? You know, so as, I, I, I like that. It was yeah. definitely well played. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and how she was deflecting a, deflecting a, a couple of uh, uh, statements that was or or queries that uh, the Hulkling had at that point. Um, so yeah, that's what, and which like that brings in the the, the uh, beast like machinations that I was talking about earlier. So I was like, okay, we're gonna so we have to see what's going to happen with all of that. We know where that's... We see what what the, what was uh, to be gained from that, uh, or what will be gained from that, given the data page, or um, what they were trying to gain from that. So, you know, in some ways it kind of makes sense, but at the same time it's like, huh, all right, you're just using, using an event for your own gain um, kind of situation was interesting. But yeah. Definitely uh, check out the uh, check out uh, check this out if you uh, are caught up on the last uh, last annihilation stuff, which is like again just kind of just started like last week or two. 
Yeah, it's not too late to jump into it. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting to see how um, how Al Ewing is looking to expand the reach of the X-Men, mm-hmm. you know, into the into, you know, it makes sense that sword and especially with the creation of Planet Araco and, and, and the whole stance that the, the X-Men and, and Krakoa are taking, uh, it, you know, it makes sense that uh, uh, they would become a, a, a much more. Uh, a much more powerful player mm-hmm. in galactic, you know, on the galactic stage, so that you know, and and I'll you know, and I'll finish with this before we move on to the next book. But it's acknowledged that Marvel has really only had the bandwidth. You know, the fans have only had the had the bandwidth to maybe support a couple of cosmic space books at a time. Very often, it's usually one or two at most. So at the you know at, you know at this time we don't have a Silver Surfer book, at this time we don't have a Quasar book, we don't have a Nova book. What we do have is a Guardians book. So it's good to see that Sword comes at the whole space slash cosmic stuff from a different perspective, namely the mutant perspective because of the developments uh, of uh, you know that happened during the Hellfire Gala. So you know it's kind of cool that. You know they've been able to develop this in like a really organic way possible, not just having an X Men team in space, right? Which has ha- happened in the past, so it's not unlike the fact that the X Men or some very you know some some uh, group has not been in the space before. But yeah, to have them on this bigger stage in galactic politics, or try to get them on this bigger stage in galactic politics, is is um, interesting to say the least. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether I can say this is out of the ordinary because, like I said, they've had dealings with space, but you never would, would associate them directly with a lot of. I mean, there's in a certain case just the, the Shi'ar right stuff, yeah. just exactly. Shi'ar stuff. Yeah, they're they're meddling in Shi'ar stuff more so than in like the overall galactic political uh, uh, arena. But so. is, but it right, but it is an attempt to get them on a bigger yeah. galactic uh, uh, standing than they have exactly. been. Exactly. Exactly. You know, because the Avengers, you know, like it or not, you know, get, you know, after Infinity, even though all the goodwill, you know, I've, I've complained about this before, <laughs> you know, all the goodwill garnered by the Avengers during Infinity is just gone. I'm like, mm-hmm. what happened? Yeah, quickly. Like, yes. Yeah, like seriously, like they literally saved the entire universe from the builders, and then you know, and then struck back at Thanos, and now everyone's now now the the rest of the the, the Galactic Empire is like, all right, screw you, Earth. You're always a big headache, you know? Right. Which has been the thing uh, every now and then, classically. You know, it's like, hey, the Earth, you know, or at least, yeah, no, I say that. that yeah, like, that's kind of been a thing. Like, oh, the, the Earth's got to, you know, is is, a, is it's going to be a problem or is a problem, so we got to do something right. about it. Right. Um, but, yeah, that being said, we can move on to, um, hmm. oh, uh, Black Widow, maybe? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Black sure. Widow number nine. All right. Uh, it is written by Kelly Thompson mm-hmm. with pencils by Elena Casagrande and Rafael de, de la Torre, inks by Elisabetta D'Amico and Rafael de la Torre, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So we. Uh, 
find ourselves dropped right into the action as we left it in the previous issue with um, uh, just give me a second while I get to this book with um, Yelena Belova being in distress uh, Black Widow is quickly surrounded by uh, minions of uh, the Hux uh, of Hux advisors and um, it's uh, you know you know, this is the apogee hideout that they're that they've uh, b- tried to break into, and uh, Yelena Belova is, uh, as I said, in distress, and it's up to Natasha to get her out of it. And there's a couple of things in this issue reminiscent of the Black Widow movie that just dropped. Mm-hmm. One is actually, and and it's funny that uh, this is mild spoilers. Actually, no, not yeah, it's mild spoilers for the Black Widow movie. So if you have made it this far and you are listening to this and you still have not watched Black Widow, this is a truly mild, minor spoiler. But it's a spoiler nonetheless. You actually get not a taser effect from the Widow's bite or the Widow's sting, but an actual, like, you know, pew-pew effect right. from the Widow's bite slash Widow's sting in the Black Widow movie more so than you have ever seen in any of the MCU offerings. Right. And get and you get a little bit of that here in this issue. I know I I I specifically recall seeing, oh, they're actually letting her use the widow's sting or the widow's bite much more so than just like a close-up taser shot. Right. I feel like which is how they depicted it in like the first Avengers movie. Right. I or even like... in the first the second Iron Man movie. I am I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. You good. I'm sorry. Um No, I feel like it was at least the way in this issue was being uh it felt like it was being used because I Widow's got a new suit and it was kind of a apparently a function of her new suit and new variation of her of her uh bite or uh, Widow's thing. Um that it feels more like um what if you've played any game in recent history with um Iron Man in it, it kind of feels like a move from him. Yeah. Uh weirdly enough. Because it's like because the way especially the way you see it seen uh in the particular uh page, it feels like uh it's like, oh no, this is just a laser, like uh, Agent Seventy said, but it was just being used in a very specific uh sweeping manner. And, right. and that's why it's like, wow, that does definitely seem like something different from, like it uh, said, different from the way it's normally being used. Um, and like I said, more like what Iron Man would would, would do. Uh, so that part right there was kind of interesting. Uh, but also with um, the other illusion that uh, Agent Seventy was was uh, had mentioning or was about to mention probably uh, was the fact that, um, and as a matter of fact, he did say this. Uh, prior to the show, but um, not but uh, you definitely see some cross pollination between how she's being written here and how she's and how Yelena is being portrayed in the movie, which oh, granted, yes. which, which granted, kind of also comes back from the because they Yelena kind of has been like this for a few years now, but um, not to this extent exactly. But but not to this not to this close. Like if you watch the movie and read this issue, you'd be like, yeah, that's definitely a, a, a direct parallel to to that. But not definitely. not that big of a surprise, given how like I said, you know the MCU has 
there have been things in the MCU that have come back to the books. Right. Um, and in small doses, vice versa. Like you could say the the uh, Tony Stark, uh, the, the MCU version of Tony Stark ended up being the way he was kind of his how he's been portrayed in the books uh, as of uh, the last ten or so years. Because um, he was not classically like that. He was definitely not you know uh, Robert Downey Jr. But they kind right. of are around the same time. In this case, like I said, the Yelena's in a similar vein. But, well, no, it, there's no but. The, 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 it's kind of in the same way. Just more, no yeah, just more, yeah. just, just, just definitely more pointed in this. Like, you could definitely say, it was like, well, clearly if they hadn't seen the script of the movie or so, so one didn't play into the other or vice versa, then, yeah, I, you couldn't tell me. <laughs> there's no way you could tell me. I'm pretty sure there's probably a credit to um, Kelly Thompson and crew. Uh, I feel like if you go back and watch the credits in the movies, those, those are Kelly Thompson and crew uh, credited in there somewhere. Or, or I guess, more to the point of the beginnings of whoever wrote Yelena like this. All right. I enjoyed it. Yes. I really enjoyed it because it gives, it gives the story a contrast. You know, it gives a, uh, you know, it gives both of them foils to one another. Whereas, you know, Natasha is the uh, the Black Widow that we've, you know, kind of known for a long time. We have Yelena being, you know, the younger, you know, the playing the younger sibling role with, uh, you know, uh, questioning more, uh, kind of approaching things with a different sense of humor mm-hmm. uh, than Natasha would. So it was definitely, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it's a story choice that, you know, obviously they made for a reason for maybe a slightly different reason in the MCU, right. but I can see why it would be a good choice in a comic book featuring these two characters. Right. You know, I honestly wanted to go back and, you know, once I, once, I mean, I, I didn't have time tonight, but I'd like to over the next, you know, however long between this issue and next, uh, I'd like to try to go back and check out, you know, maybe her first couple of appearances in Marvel Knights. I know that she, did she do some stuff in Dark Reign? I got to check out all of her appearances and see how the character of Yelena Belova has uh, evolved and see when they started to kind of give her this kind of dry wit mm-hmm. characterization. Right. And see how that's developed over time. Right. And yeah, probably dark. Cause I feel like there's been in, in, even in this volume of black, Widow, I feel like there was a mention to dark rain somewhere, but I may be mistaken on that. Right. So, you know, it's just a matter of looking up all of her appearances and seeing, you know, using, you know, my own collection or the handy dandy Marvel Unlimited, not that we're getting paid to sponsor it or, you know, not that they're paying for uh, for this free ad every time we mention it. But um, at the end of the day, it's a great resource and a tool for podcasters like us who are constantly looking for uh, reference and, uh, you know, factual reference to back up our, you know, to, to back up what we say. So uh, ultimately, you know, I'm looking forward to this particular dive into Marvel history just to check up on this character who, you know, was introduced so long ago, but has really only developed in recent times. Right. And yeah, and Marvel Unlimited is a resource. I mean, even if you're a Marvel fan, it's a it's a really great uh, resource. Again, no plug. I mean, no no sponsorships or anything going on here. We're just just saying it's good. It's a good resource. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. That being said, and obviously we knew going into this, like yeah, the, the one of the reasons why Black 
Blackwood even has a book right now is because there was a movie coming out. Um, we can't sit here and say that that's not any uh, part of this at all. Whether he was, she was deserving of a book, I, I you know, some would argue yes. Um, some some would argue no, you know. But I, I like the fact that that is here nonetheless, and it's been pretty good so far. <clears throat> you know, and um, I don't know. I would like to have hoped at some point there would have been like you know, even if the movie wasn't a thing. Uh, that there would be something for her for this character and a lot of the stuff would have played out a similar way if if it wasn't for the fact that um, the MCU was around but it is a thing and and unfortunately it is a driving factor uh, for Marvel even if they don't say as much um but that being said, yeah, uh, Black Order number nine ends up being a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good book. Like I said, the the, the thing with the suit, uh, um, you know, what was the thing, and then they end up uh, her, uh, you know, Natasha, Yelena, and uh, Anya, uh, Spider Girl, uh, end up uh, going after Apogee Direct, and they lead, to, which leads them to a confrontation at the at the end of the book, while you know, uh, while they have another plan going in action at the same time, and that. Yeah, we will see the um, we will see what happens when in that conversation in the next issue. Uh, so with that, we can move on to maybe one more book before we get into um, rapid fire. Sure. In fact, I think the only other book that we have in, well, we got two books in uh, in, in common. So let's go Black Cat. It's a favorite of ours, usually. Sure. All right, Black Cat number eight is written by Jed McKay with art by C.F. Via, color art by Brian Reber, and letters by Ferran Delgado. So this is the first part of the Infinity Score story, which uh, is a part of the tale that's being told involving the new, uh, I wouldn't say wielders of the infinity stones slash gems, but rather the new hosts of these gems, as it were. Okay. You know, because I don't think they're wielding them as you would, I guess, conceive of it like uh, Dr. Spectrum. From the Squadron Supreme, right? It's more yeah. like, right? It's more like MCU Wanda, where their powers kind of manifest from said, uh, right? You know. But in the sense that they've become part, you know, that the stone slash gem has become part of them, right? As opposed to you know just imbuing like Captain, like like Carol Danvers uh, slash Captain Marvel in the MCU. Uh, that's another character that's bathed in the mm-hmm. in the in the energy of one of the uh, Infinity Gems or stones in the MCU. Mm-hmm. You know, in this case, uh, that is a, a development from the last couple of years that Marvel is now looking to uh, tell stories with, and uh, what they've been doing is telling some of these stories as parts of the most parts of a uh, i guess a, a recent annual it's still continuing actually a recent annual uh, i guess recent is 
is the wrong word. Current is really the word. A current set of annuals mm -hmm. that are crossing over into kind of a mini event. They have a, a common theme of infinite destinies, as it were. And they all have, at the very least, if not infinity gem carriers or or hosts as part of the main story. They, uh, they include part of a long-running backup story that involves one uh, Nick Fury Jr. Mm -hmm. And it's that character that uh, comes into play in this issue as um, it seems that uh, Felicia is on the hunt for a particular score. And it's the score that was uh, uh, stashed away by one Nick Fury Jr. And, you know, for everyone's safety. And ultimately, uh, Felicia Hardy's on uh, on the prowl. You know, every pun intended hmm. to, uh, to 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 uh, to steal this particular uh, uh, thing. You know, I'm being as vague as possible to not spoil it, but to steal this uh, thing that uh, Nick Fury Jr. has uh, has stashed away, and the two come to blows over it because uh, Nick Fury Jr. Uh, much like his uh, namesake, is uh, pretty good at his job, and you know, and and and, and can uh, you know has lots of uh, uh, backup plans and failsafes in place to try to uh, defeat people who are trying to steal from him. But ultimately, Felicia does get away with it, and we find in the end, not that it doesn't really matter. Shout out to Lincoln Park, but we find out in the end that um, what. Nick Fury Jr. was keeping in storage was something that was something that we last saw towards the end of the King in Black event. Um. So here's a question on that: Is that did this did this um asset not show up in the infinite? Well, so I guess that's two questions. Um. Did this asset not come uh, into play in the in this uh, infinite uh, destinies uh, thing? Because I feel like they did, but I don't know because I haven't read them. Uh, and also, Felicia was oh, I think part of right. That. I think it was the Spidey Annual, right? Um, I think it was the Spidey Annual, which I didn't read, although I remember the cover. So you're right. right. Maybe I'm I'm mistaken, but in terms of the state that we find this character in, I'm wondering if it didn't happen before then. Like I said, like post King and Black. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of maybe, but I kind of want to. If it, like I said, I've not read any of the Infinite Destiny stuff, so I kind of feel like it might have come at the end of that than not. But again, you might be more right than I am because like, and I hadn't read King and Black at all, so I don't know anything uh, about what happened there. But it kind of felt like this. Kind of felt like this was in the and Black Cat also um, had an, an annual in this Infinite Destiny thing. So I was thinking it might have been coming from that. Or some of this has been kind of coming from that, but I don't know if that's the case. And I need to catch up with those things to see if they're, see just to just kind of familiarize myself with what's going on in that. Because I figure like if that's going to be a thing that's going to play into this book, you know, I might want to. Um, but that being said, um, did you happen to read Nick Fury Jr. Uh, in a certain way? Did he, did he come happen to come off in a certain way to you, familiar? Does that occur uh, to you? And it could be just me, and maybe I, I was projecting it, but I don't know. 
Not necessarily. Okay. But you can let me in on the on the little secret. So it felt like so it felt like they were definitely going a more um, Samuel Jackson tone, MCU Nick Fury tone with the way they had uh, Fury Junior speaking. Mm-hmm. And 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 obviously that is the the direct parallel to this because of you know how they've been kind of shaping uh, shaping um, well shaping this character um, in the first place. So that's not surprisingly. But it kind of felt like, like, and maybe, like I said, it could be just me projecting it. But it felt like uh, uh, McKay was kind of writing this character in a similar vein as uh, as uh, Samuel Jackson's uh, Fury, uh, which was kind of could, amusing in itself. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What I was going to say is, I could sense that, but that's generally been my experience with the Nick Fury Jr. character. Anyway, mm. is that you know, while we're not getting the you know, say what again. Uh, you know, uh, a bit of dialogue. Say what? One more goddamn time. You know, right. we're not getting that, but we're definitely getting a, at least a little bit of a cadence uh, when there's opportunity for it. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely got get that sense now that I, I, I look back on the issue and, and kind of reread some of the dialogue. But uh, but yeah, I I maybe more so here than in other places. Exactly. You know, than than you know, I, I, I would I would I'd be inclined to agree. That I guess in this issue more so than maybe other places we've seen Nick Fury Jr. Mm-hmm. That uh, the 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 dialogue is written more with the voice of Samuel L. Jackson in mind. Right. Yeah. Because definitely. Yeah. Even in coming from uh, his inception into becoming Nick Fury Jr. and all that, and uh, it was never it never felt as overt as it does in tone here. Right. Uh, than too many other places that I've where I've read this character. Like, yeah, you, definitely, you know, because of uh, because of the MCU and because of you know uh, the Ultimate Universe and the, where you know the MCU springs from and all of that kind of like yeah, you definitely get the the look and everything or somewhat of, you get the look and all that kind of good stuff. But you know, like I said, the the tone of the character's voice um, it was more apparent here and I, I, I'm going to assume that that was a potential. I mean, that was, a, that was, a, that was definitely in, intentional, but I don't know. Like I said, it could have just me projecting that. So, uh, but regardless, it was a pretty good issue. The banter between, uh, uh, Nick Fury Jr. And, 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 uh, Felicia was pretty good. The, you know, it was a good bit of action going on in here. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, the, the, I was thinking that the, the uh, cover was kind of spoiling something, uh, and ma- and I guess in a way it kind of was in a way, but um, but given that I had not read Infinite uh, Destinies and uh, did not know the uh, much about, I still actually don't know much about the exit that was obtained, um, you know, uh, outside of a little bit of his and theirs, like to to um uh. You know what? What's what's the end goal here? I guess is the big thing because obviously we know Felicia is going for bigger and better scores. You know, uh, with each passing arc, uh, and this is definitely a big, big score. Now, what she's going to do with it, we don't know, uh, but I am looking forward to finding out. Uh, that being said, I guess we can. Uh, unless you got some, another book that you really want to uh, pop out there, we can uh, go to rapid fire. No, no, no! I will spin it up. So it's a rapid fire time, people. I ain't got time to breathe. Got time to duck? 
Rapid fire, folks. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I didn't even spin it. Oh. I was about to say I got uh, you know I got Blaine in, but I did not get the actual minigun. <laughs> yeah, might maybe cut that together. Um, but uh, yeah, rapid fire, folks. Uh, y- you want to go? Sure. I mean, you know, we we still have at least one book, yes. if not two, in common. So I will start with Amazing Spider-Man number seventy-one. It's written by Nick Spencer with art by Federico Vicentini and Federico Sabatini. My goodness, you know, it's uh, I feel like we're, um, you know, if you're a tennis fan, you know, there, there, there's a bunch of uh, uh, Italian and Argentinian uh, uh, players with these names. So I feel like we're, uh, you know, we're just reading off um, the latest contestants at the at the French Open or or Wimbledon or something. Um, Colors are by Alex Sinclair and letters by our favorite lettering Paisan, VC's Joe Caramagna. So in this issue, we actually get, I guess what would amount to a retcon if it really wasn't just Spencer tying parts of his story together. His story has been going on for the better part of three plus years. And, um, you know, it, it 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 stands to reason that a lot of the early uh, ground laying that he was putting in in terms of the story is finally starting to come back to us now. And that is with specific regards to some of the things that um, Mary Jane uh, undertook to do during this arc or during this, you know, overall story arc, this uh, the Spencer run where she uh decided to turn to uh, or turn back to therapy to get some help and namely that uh, kind of anonymous group of uh, people who were significant others of superheroes or, 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 or connected to superheroes that Edwin Jarvis was a member of and uh, related to that uh, MJ decided to get some additional uh, uh, therapy from another source and it's that source that has found that we find out is directly related to all of the things that have happened to MJ's career since Spencer's run started, namely her connection to Mysterio. And I'm I'm forever going to be saying it that way after um, spectacular after the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. Put that in my head. Uh, we we get a uh, we get some developments here with uh kindred and harry osborne uh you know that stuff is is continuously playing in the background as uh carly cooper and harry osborne are being held by kindred and uh you know we're going to see how that particular duo uh affects the story going uh going forward um ultimately this issue is really about uh mysterio recounting how he's been connected to uh mj and 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 by extension uh spider-man and peter parker's life since the since the beginning of this of of spencer's run and how uh they're all you know mysterio and kindred are all intertwined you know like his their actions are all intertwined um you know ever since this uh this run uh started 
And, you know, while that's evident from, you know, if you think back on early issues, it's kind of fun to see it all come back full circle. There are also some great editorial blurbs in here about see such and such issue. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So because Mysterio has had uh, quite a bit of uh, things happen to him, including dying over the last 20 years. So uh, we do cover all of those bases here in this issue. And we end on a cliffhanger with uh, Kindred and MJ coming face to face. Uh, Next up is... Uh, Roddy Cat's going to cover that. Beta Ray Bill number five. So this is written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, I will get the other credits up in a second as soon as I pull the book up. Uh, Daniel Warren Johnson, as I said, is writer and artist. Mike Spicer is the color artist. And VCs Joe Sabino with an assist from Daniel Warren Johnson are the letterers. So if you haven't been keeping up with Beta Ray Bill, this particular uh, miniseries has served to launch him into a different direction from where he was uh, from where he came from during some brief guest appearances in the current Thor series. And the events of the current Thor series were reflected, the events surrounding Beta Ray Bill were reflected in this series as Beta Ray Bill was on the search for a new weapon, you know, without spoiling everything that happened during that, uh, during the most recent Thor series to what happened to Bill. I will say that he was on the search for a way to possibly uh, restore Stormbreaker. But it turns out in this issue that uh, he has rearmed, quite literally. And it's kind of curious. You know, anyone who has gone back and you know, anyone who has read some of the older Thor issues involving the, the, the main antagonist here in this story is kind of, I don't know, dumbstruck by what happens here in this issue and what rules have been put forth surrounding uh, the Twilight Sword, you know? And that's, uh, you know, it's definitely uh, uh, something to have to digest. You know, there's definitely a lot to digest here. And I'm still, at the end of this issue, kind of scratching my head. And trying to figure out how this all fits together. I'm wondering if maybe I need to reread the series and maybe read some of the letters, uh, the letter columns at the back to see if um, there are hints as to how um, we've gotten to this point with uh, Beta Ray Bill and with um, the Twilight Sword and with Surtur. That's not really a big surprise when I say Twilight Sword in uh, the Marvel Universe. Uh, next up well, wait, is... Before you, hang on, before you, before you, before yeah. you go on, let me, let me say something. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought about that, too, because, yeah, coming out of this, you don't really knowing, um, like, yeah, what is, so what is, actually, what is Bill's actually status uh, in a certain respect coming out of this book? And also, I was like, I don't know if the Twilight Sword, Sword like, classically had similar characteristics to Mjolnir or not as they as it feels like they have set up in this in this book much less uh this issue um because even at the beginning of the book there was something mentioned it was like 
wait, worthiness? Like, what is, what, what's that, what's that about? Um, but also, like, so, uh, this is the particular pluck of the week for me because of, it was a big, uh, kind of fun knockout, drag out fight, you know, between, uh, Bill and Surtur. Um, apparently a character, a side character gets, uh, roadied, um, uh, during the course of the, the book. Uh, and you could kind of tell that, um, Daniel Warren Johnson kind of had some fun with the uh, with uh, with his book almost in a Donny Cates type fashion, uh, one would say uh, with you know with the with the uh, with the writing and the art, um, but yeah, it definitely leads you leaves you kind of curious as uh, so what's the end result here type situation, and hopefully that will be explored later on down the line or some somewhere soon um, for folks who like a uh, better bill. So there you go. Yeah. I would also add that, uh, you know, Scourge does get a little bit yes. of shine in this issue. Yes. Uh, in a, Scourge, some, in in the a executioner. yes, in a somewhat, somewhat classic sense for him anyway. <laughs> Def- definitely. Definitely. All right. Next up, um, is daredevil number 32. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with art, by, with pencils actually by Mike Hawthorne. Inks by Adriano Di Benedetto, colors by Marcio Meniz, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. So we have the continuation of the Bullseye is on the Loose story, while Electra slash Daredevil is on the hunt for uh, Bullseye because Bullseye is running rampant on the streets of New York. Meanwhile, we have the continuation of Matt Murdock's saga with, uh, uh, behind bars, as it were. And both stories seem to move quite a bit in this issue because ultimately what we find out is that uh, Electra is not exactly facing the bullseye singular that we know of or that we're familiar with. And that's a big hint. And Matt Murdock seems to be growing fed up with his circumstances behind bars and quite possibly sooner rather than later may find himself coming out from uh, behind the prison walls. But we'll see how long that uh, that takes. But uh, that is Daredevil number 32. Uh, next up is Eternals number six. It's written by uh, Kieran Gillen. With art by Isad Rabich. Uh, hold on while I get this um, credit page up and running. Again, I apologize, folks, because I did not have an opportunity to type out some notes. Uh, color art is by Matthew Wilson, and letters are by VCs Clayton Cowles. So, this is the finale of this Eternals miniseries now i wasn't i you know none of us really expected this to be a miniseries uh we expected it to be a, an ongoing specifically because there's a movie coming out uh, uh starring the eternals in the near future but it turns out that this is the capper to this particular miniseries there are some uh one shots that have been solicited uh, featuring Kieran Gillen uh, scripting the Eternals uh, moving forward, if I'm not mistaken, there's definitely one in the October solicitations that just came out. Correct. Uh, uh, last week, 
So um, the, the story of the Eternals is never going to be far from the publishing side now that the MCU side is going to bring in uh, the Eternals, uh, you know, bring in those the, the, those characters. But ultimately what we have here is the traitor in, uh, amongst the Eternals is revealed and the Eternals um, story, as it were, is adjusted and given a different aspect, different uh, – their, their history has been adjusted probably to reflect what's happening in the movie, probably what's happening – you know uh, what, what possibly will happen around some of these leading characters and how they are going to be uh, adjusted in relation to how they've always been portrayed. So, um, you know, I can't really get into more of it than that. Uh, we do find out that um, uh, as they are eternal, death is almost hardly ever permanent. <laughs> so that is part. That's part of the story. It, it kind of feels like, now I haven't read this issue, but it kind of feels like David like took an aspect of what's going on in the X books and was like, you know what, let's take this away from that. Uh, and, 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 and then put him in the situation. Like, I, again, I haven't read this issue, but, it, but reading up to this, uh, <clears throat> it kind of feel, felt that way uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a sense. I don't know if it felt like that to you. I mean... Yeah, I guess they were adapting that aspect because we've always seen, you know, the few times that we've seen the Eternals cross over with like the superhero universe proper. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not talking about uh, the 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 Jenkins miniseries, the Jenkins Marvel Knights miniseries, but the few times that we've seen. Oh no, I, I apologize. I withdraw that comment because I'm confusing with Inhumans. Mm-hmm. Um, the few times that we've seen Eternals is. Uh, their power get their power over their molecular construction gets disrupted somehow, and that is their, you know, uh, pseudo death, as it were. That's mm-hmm. part of their power set is that they are in full control of their molecular structure. So um, they're not as specific with it here as they have been in other stories. Here, they're literally part of an engine right. that part you know, that keeps them functioning you know they're 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 just cogs in this particular engine so uh you know that aspect is new that's something that gillen uh uh introduced here and i wonder if that's going to be part of the movie storyline going forward Hmm. but uh you know it's it's interesting i i think they picked a decent place to end the story i'll be honest Mm mm-hmm uh, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of surprised that they only gave it six issues. So, and on that note, I was thinking kind of a similar thing, if that, that being the case, because it felt like, like you said earlier, this felt like this was going to be ongoing. And this is kind of one of those books where I feel like this, that was what they planned, but maybe either for either sales didn't really, you know, go like they wanted to, or they were like, eh, we, you know, we, we got it back out here. The movie's coming. We could just do this and just go ahead and cut it. Um, for some right. reason, but it could it, but be it, pandemic related. We don't know. Yeah, exactly. We don't know, but it, but it kind of felt like, yeah, this was supposed to go a little bit longer than this. Um, and for some odd reason didn't. And like, so this is kind of one of those times where like it, it felt like an ongoing, but just ended up being a miniseries for whatever reason. Because sometimes we have seen it go one way or we've seen it the other, which like, for instance, last week's um, 
Savage Avengers, which we didn't get to talk about because we felt like we knew that was going to be a mini series, and that thing has had way more legs than it did. Than, than we feel like it originally intended to. It's still going. Still going. It's still in. It's still in the solicits. Mm-hmm. It's still going. Yeah, unbelievably. So, well, anyway. uh, back to back to rapid fire, so that we can wrap up my mm-hmm. books. Uh, the Mighty Valkyries, um, as usual. There are two stories. The Jane story is written by Jason Aaron and Torun Grumbeck with art by Mattia de Ulis. The Runa story, spoiler alert, that is the now-named uh, ancient Valkyrie or one of the original Valkyries that has a strong resemblance to Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie character from uh, Thor Ragnarok and now um, and, 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 and forward in terms of the MCU. It's written by, That was written by Torun Grunbeck with art by Erica D'Urso and colors by Marcio Meniz. Letters on both stories are by VCs Joe Sabino, the other Paisan over at Visual Comicraft. Uh, this story follows the, finally follows the intersection of the two parallel stories, as it were, as they have been developing over the course of this Mighty Valkyries series thus far. So this is issue four, and we finally get the intersection of the stories, uh, and you know we get a little bit of a unifying of purpose here. One, we have, um, you know, we, we without spoiling too much, um, some some shenanigans are going on in the uh, in Helheim in Hell as uh, Hela and her partner uh, Carnilla the Norn Queen. Uh, are up to something, but it seems like Carnilla is really the one behind it. And there, uh, there are things going on here that are definitely going to interfere with some seriously powerful magical and, uh, uh, ancient powers as it were. Uh, we have the first interaction the return of, uh, uh, Runa to Asgard, to new Asgard, and her dealings with uh, the new King Thor, and the, you know those proved to be uh, some comical uh, interactions. But uh, ultimately, here in terms of moving the story forward, the uh, the intersection of these two stories as they come together, and uh, and kind of reveal what's been happening to um, you know what's been really happening. Uh, uh, from the from from the overarching perspective, uh, you know, from 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 the, uh, the these ancient powers, the wolf that was running around, through what role Craven the Hunter has to play in this. Uh, if you look at the next month uh, kind of solicit image that's at the end of this book, you see everyone kind of coming together uh, in one image. And you see that we're probably going to get quite a bit of exposition in the next issue so that we can find out what, how all of this fits together. And last for me is Shang-Chi number three. Uh, just give me a moment to click to this book. And I will get you the credits on this. My apologies, folks. Um, one sec. Well, it's written by Gene Luen Yang. 
I can say, I, you know, these, these are the things that I can tell you off the top of my head, off the top of the dome, right? Uh, it's written by Jean Luen Yang with art by DK Ruan. Um, Triona Farrell is the colorist and VCs Travis Lanham is the letterer. I am not going to spoil this because Roddy Cat does intend to read this very soon. But um, this is the latest installment of Shang-Chi takes on the Marvel Universe, as it were. And that is sort of what happens here. But as it was in the first two uh, issues of this series, it's not exactly uh, Shang-Chi looking to take on heroes uh, or characters from the rest of the Marvel Universe. But they cross paths as Shang-Chi is looking to reform the, um, the, 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 the five weapon society that he has inherited as the son of Zheng Zhu, uh, otherwise known as uh, Fu Manchu. But, um, you know, he's looking to reform this uh, criminal enterprise, as it were. But, uh, you know, this this part of his story leads him to run into the darker past of his half-brother and sister-brother Saber and Sister Dagger, who are his companions on this journey so far. And uh, this bit of their their shared past is an interesting view into um trying to come up with the best way to put this without spoiling too much is an interesting view into the uh views of the five weapon society on uh people who are other than and that's the most broad way i can put it in the marvel universe so um that's uh, that's as far as I'll go without spoiling too much. It's entertaining, and I can see where uh, Jean Yang is going with this because uh, the seeds of distrust have been sown in terms of the sibling members of the Five Weapon Society looking at Shang-Chi's efforts to reform the society with a jaundiced eye. So there are there's potential there for um, for betrayal and or uh, you know people working for alt- you know working towards ulterior motives. So um, I can see you know the the seeds of that being laid very clearly. Next issue, we're actually going to get Shang Chi versus the FF. So that should prove to be interesting. But we're actually not getting that next month. Next month, we're getting Marvel Voices, the identity issue. This is the Asian. This is the uh, not quite timely. Uh, well, let's just say tardy uh, Asian American Pacific Islander uh, celebration uh, issue. Uh, so we're not getting uh, an issue of Shang-Chi next month, but we're getting it in two months. So that's uh, what's coming up. And that's it for me. All right. Then for myself, uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of uh, Transformers Beast Wars number six, which... Um, I'm just going to say that, uh, well, first off, let's see, it is written by Eric Burnham, uh, art by Josh Burcham, and letters by Jake M. Wood. So, I basically have in my notes, um, you really wonder if the scripts to this and the recent Transformers Netflix show were turned in around the same time, or one kind of looked at the other, because there is a thing that happened... 
Well, let's just say there's an event uh, uh, that happens during the course of um, the uh, uh, War for Cybertron Kingdom that slightly mirrors what has happened uh, in this issue. Uh, and actually, and also mirrors what has happened in Beast Wars or uh, on a couple of different occasions. So I can't really say it's just because of that. Um that that has happened in Beast Wars, uh, the the TV the, the original TV show. This is kind of a reboot of that, by the way. So this is not necessarily a beat for beat retelling of that story. And some things play out a little bit differently than they than they did here. Uh, case in point, um, at, at this point, um, uh, Predi- the Predacons are attacking the Maximal base uh, after. Um, after uh, Nyx escapes with uh, th- with the help of Dinobot, Dinobot tries to uh, defect to the uh, to the the Maximals. And at this point, in this uh, when this uh, issue starts, uh, is helping the Maximals whether they want it or not. Um, and meanwhile, uh, the the base got uh, infiltrated by Scorponok and um, uh, Rat Trap has to deal with that. With let's just say a an aliens tool that has uh, that was uh, or an alien I guess well no let's see no that's more aliens yeah there we go uh, a more aliens uh, tool that gets used in the, the process of that but um, but Scorpion I, before that finds out about the, the stasis pods in space. And, and comes up with a plan to t- kind of use them for its own good. Not necessarily how the show in, um, kind of plays that part, but it is what it is. Uh, not saying that it should be uh, a one-to-one beat, you know, but uh, this is just uh, things that you notice if you've ever watched the show or if you've been a fan of the show like I have been. Um, but like I said, things don't, uh, at this point, don't turn out for a character in a certain way. Uh, but... Um, but uh, the some similar progress uh, towards the one end uh, ends up happening for a character. Like it's been a pretty decent read so far. Uh, is like so it was a little bit jarring because like so I halfway expected it to be a little bit closer to the the the, sh- the show than being a kind of a reboot. But that's kind of what's been going on with the Transformers books anyway. Uh, so. Uh, the fact that what happens here is kind of similar to a thing that happens in uh, the Netflix show, or at least in one event, is kind of amusing. Uh, and um, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about that the show, uh, the Netflix uh, show, probably next week a little bit more. Uh, next up, we have Static season one and uh, season one number two. Uh, as I. Uh, switch covers here. Bear with me for a moment. There we go. Static season one, number two, written by uh, Vida Ayala, layouts by Chris Cross, uh, finishes in color by Nicholas Draper Ivy, and letters by Anwar Design. Uh, so. At the off- outset of the last issue, there was a fight going on between Static and um, Hot Shot or Hot Streak, excuse me, that happened in front of his home. Um, so Virgil has to make a choice between finishing that fight and uh, trying to save his, his home. Um, 
but which also has the unintended consequences of exposing him uh, and his powers to his family, who at this point did not have any knowledge of said powers. So he's kind of had to deal with that, and the family's kind of um, trying to figure out how to handle that. Meanwhile, you know, Virgil's trying to get kind of get back to some semblance of, well, not necessarily semblance of normalcy, but semblance of privacy in a way with its school and family life, but it doesn't quite work out that way. But then he goes to, he tries to, uh, you know, in the midst of that, he tries to go and get some help, get some more help with, um, with his powers. And he goes to uh, a, a particular person that's probably of note in the static, um, in, in the static uh, history and they kind of sort of help him, but also put him in harm's way at the end of this issue. Um, and that's pretty much as much as needs to be said outside of the fact that we also get shades of, Hey, uh, Virgil was not the only one, you know, who's starting to manifest powers or because of the manifesting of powers get, uh, get, uh, some repercussions of, uh, said things so we kind of see some other things kind of coming into play outside of that in this book uh if you are familiar with static lore i think you will probably be pleased with what's going on here like i said it's kind of a retelling kind of a reboot um i i as far as i could tell done relatively well and there are some definitely modern notes they're taking with this book in uh in kind of bringing it um more into how things are now as opposed to when static first came out and even you know even with the cartoon uh when the cartoon came out which around a similar time so like i said you it may or may not put you off if you were like oh yeah they're putting these kind of touches in it now so i don't know if that's gonna put you off but regardless it's been pretty good so far and it's i feel like it's kind of worth checking out if you even have any remote uh interest in the character uh, as some people claim to. Next up, uh, Icon and Rocket number. Uh, excuse me, I- Icon and Rocket season one number one just came out this week. Um, and similarly to uh, what happened with the Statics first issue, we get a kind of a retelling of. Um, well, we get a little bit of backstory into. Um, uh, um, Icon's history and his first meeting with uh, Raquel, who ends up being Rocket. Uh, I will go ahead and say, backing up, uh, that this is written by Reginald Hudlin, uh, pencils by Doug Braithwaite. Um, so the inks by the uh, first part of the book is inked by um, Scott Hanna, second part of the book is uh, inked by Andrew Curry. Uh, colors by Brad Anderson for the whole thing, and letters by uh, And World Design. So, like I said, um, I am not the most f- familiar with uh, Icon and Rocket. Like, I, well, the most I know of Rocket is from Justice League slash, well, yeah, Justice League slash uh, Young Justice, uh, the cartoon. Uh, but I do know about them. Just like that, not to the point of what I was reading them when Milestone first first uh, was established. Uh, what little bit of Icon's history uh, I did kind of know was recounted here, and boy, is it like Superman's just just kind of at a different different time, um, and different time and place. So it, this is good for folks who like me are not entirely familiar with uh, you know their backstory, but kind of know briefly what generally happened. 
Like this is kind of a more modern retelling of uh, what what happened uh, then. And as I say in my notes, this kind of is definitely written by someone who has written some uh, '90s urban films, as uh, Reginald Hutland has definitely done, uh, written and or produced, I should say. Um, so you kind of get a little bit of that in there. Um, again, another book that it, um, if you're interested in at all in the milestones return and, or have any familiarity already with the, uh, characters of said universe. Oh, I would go back to uh, static season one, number two, real quick and say that there was definitely some references to icon in that book. Cause icon gets referenced like directly a couple of different times. In almost like an MCU type fashion, it was like, yeah, so and so is running around doing this and that and other, and it's definitely you. If you know anything about you know that universe and this characters, you know that's who they're talking about. Um, I don't know whether any of these are going to get more, um, like whether the milestone service is going to continue to be kind of separate because they don't really call into anything else DC, uh, the wider DC universe and all. But it, it was my assumption that they are kind of bridge going to bridge the two i don't know if that's if that's going to happen anytime soon or they're just gonna like establishing stuff now and then kind of put them put them in or it's just gonna keep uh, in a separate uh kind of separate almost universe like um like they did originally but i guess we'll see coming soon at this point it doesn't really matter like you're just really reestablishing the uh, universe as it were or that part of the universe as it were so uh, next up, Robin number four. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. If I get the covers, boom, 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 boom. Uh, that is the wrong cover. How about those apples? Trying to do two things at once, folks. Gotta love it. There we go. Robin number four, uh, written by Joshua Williamson, art by George Corona, colors by Luis Guerrero. Uh, letters by ALW's Troy um, Troy Pateri. Uh So Damien, at, at the end of the last episode, last issue, uh, Damien got saved by Rachel Gould. Well, more specifically, uh, I guess his his pet or Damien's pet Goliath. But I guess at the behest of uh, um, uh, Rachel Gould, or actually the other way around, I guess. Regardless. Um, uh, and this most of this issue is pretty much Damien uh, kind of either trying to go after uh, Rachel Gould or being trained by him or Raz Al Ghul, depending on how you want to say it. Some people, you know, you go either way with it, you know, and the, I don't know who someone goes down one way to other for it. It doesn't really matter. Um, and apparently there are some allusions to some some of uh, Damon's history that apparently he doesn't know about yet, but I guess that's going to come up at some point uh, uh, in this volume. Uh, on the other side of that, Damien, who's looking for um, Ravager, I mean, excuse me, Ravager, who's looking for Damien, who, who is not on the, uh, the island of the said tournament right now, uh, is kind of looking for him, and then runs into this other similarly dressed character that's... Um, Actually, it was closer to Deadpool and with a Deathstroke uh, thing going on who kind of hips her to some stuff and kind of, let's just say, gets the, the tournament started in full with what happens there. Um, but at the end of the book, we get a, uh, let's say, a meeting of the Robins uh, that's going to play out uh, uh, next issue for some reason. Uh, I've been I've been enjoying uh, the Robin book so far, and then we'll see where it goes. 
Uh, next book is Teen Titans Academy number five. As I try to keep it a little bit brief here, continue to anyway. Um, written by Tim Sheridan, who, by the way, wrote uh, uh, Transformers War for Cybertron Kingdom, uh, apparently. So, yeah. Uh, written by Tim Sheridan, art by Steve Lieber, colors by Dave Stewart. Um, and this is a little bit more on the backpack, um, complete with uh, flashbacks to how they met. And them still trying to figure out who Red X is. And apparently they end up finding out who they, that is for a reason that we get to see um, uh, that I don't think came up in uh, Future State. But uh, for reasons that Red X um, has of his own, I guess. And we also get to find out how the backpack ended up at, um, at Teen Titans Academy in the first place. Um, so there is, there is that, like I said, Teen Titans Academy, I don't know how long this is going to go, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a thing that is happening and, uh, been kind of interesting, but even though we know what's going on, what we know already happened in, uh, Future State has already happened, it's going to get to some point. So whether it's going to go past that, we don't know. Um, in my next book, oops, Mech Strike. No, uh, Avengers Mech Strike number five. Uh, has to be an easy way to do this. Wink. Uh, last, uh, just is the Avengers Mech Strike number five, which is written by Jed McKay, uh, art by Carlos Magno, color artist Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is the last issue of this book, and, um, of this mini series, and uh, we basically catch up to what happened with the Black uh, Panther after his seemingly death a few issues back. Um, and it apparently, um, hey, spoiler alerts! Um, uh, Galactus is not the only one who has uh, who can have heralds apparently, uh, and that comes to bear as the Avenger, as Black Panther and the Avengers uh, in their fight with Kang. Uh, after a big uh, knocked out, drug out, and yes, the 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 mentioned mechs of the Mech Strike series actually finally plays a small part uh, at the end of this uh, series, but ultimately ends up ends up in some timey wimey uh, shenanigans uh, therein. So I don't know. This was a fun book. Also, um, on a side note, uh, I was out at my local store and actually saw a display for Avengers Mech Strike. So the toys that we uh, talked about that we thought inevitably was going to be out there uh, when this book first started is definitely out there. So if that is something you're interested in, hey, you maybe want to go check it out. But I've definitely seen, I saw a um, display in Walmart <laughs> for the uh, Avengers Mech Strike toys, the inevitable uh, Avengers Mech Strike toys. Are you uh, talking about the, there's, there's going to be another Avengers kind of mech thing that's like inspired by by uh gunpla or bandai uh that because that's going to be a different series believe it or not no it's, it is definitely says avengers mech strike oh it does say oh it's yeah. definitely mech strike okay yeah the only thing it was there were no toys on the, there were no uh no, nothing on display so either they got cleaned out or hadn't put them out yet i don't know but um it was empty laying in the walmart that i went into so, interesting yeah but you know it was definitely a industry same lettering and everything so um 
And you, wait, you're talking about the um the the uh, the manga? Are you talking about? No, there's actually a toy line. Oh. Uh, um, hold on. So you because we yeah. talked about it in the news. Well, yeah, we probably did, but um, no, this is definitely Avengers Mech Strike, and I uh, like I said, uh, the, the the you know um the lettering and all of this. I mean, maybe it could very well still be the same thing, but I I, I don't know. Um. Uh, but but it was definitely said Mech Strike, regardless. So oh, I, I see what you, I, I I see it, but I don't know if it's exactly uh, uh, what's in this comic because my understanding was that the uh, uh, the, the Mech Strike wasn't necessarily um, what you call it. Uh, Mech Strike wasn't necessarily a vehicle for selling toys. It felt like it to me. Well, I mean, my point being, it wasn't necessarily one. Not that it didn't become sure. one, but. Um, uh, you know, you know, you know. Maybe I'm I'm just misremembering something that we read in terms of, um, in terms of uh, uh, interviews, mm. you know, with the creative teams, right? So, yeah, no, but, no. Uh, but I know for a fact. I know for uh, I'm 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 like I said, you know, it's late. I'm tired, but if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the the Marvel uh, mech, you know, move. It's it's a little bit more influenced by uh, Bandai stuff. I feel like both could gonna... still be the case, though. Oh no, no, I'm saying I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's it's one or the other. I'm saying right. that, uh, that specifically the um, the the tech toys, you know, that they're actually going to do for a toy line. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's called Tech on Avengers. Oh right, I do remember that. Yeah, that, that is definitely a different thing. Tech on Avengers. Yeah. That's a specific toy. You know, they're they're, mm-hmm. they're literally doing it so that they can sell toys. Right. But I, feel like, I don't know if they did that for Mech Strike, but you know, I could be misremembering. Like I, uh, I, as I said, I feel like while the, it wasn't because even when we first talked about, when we talked about the first uh, issue of this, it was like if they weren't doing it, there was mm-hmm. going to be a line at some point, and and that is definitely born born uh, born out to that thing. I feel like. I feel like it was probably the case that it, that um, one begat the other. Uh, it would in mm-hmm. whatever case it came. Um, and you know what's funny? Tech on Avengers is going to be out very soon, mm-hmm. August 11th. So it's not far away now. Yeah, so look out for that, and we definitely will probably be talking about it um, a little bit more as that as that's uh, come closer. Because I do, when you said that name, I do remember uh, that coming up at some point. So. Yep. Uh, that being said, that is it for me, and we can go on to, excuse me, clicks of the week. Clicks of the week. As I'm looking at the Walmart website for uh, these Mech Strike things, I see some Mech Strike toys, but um, yeah, I guess you know Mech Strike is Mech Strike. It doesn't necessarily have to be exactly what's in the comic, but uh, anyway. Um, let me see. Did we actually get anything from? We did not get anything no. from those fellows. So, no. actually, I think I've got a clear winner. Okay, um, go for it. FF number thirty-four. Yeah, that's a good damn good pick. <laughs> I can't argue with you on that one. Yeah, Fantastic Four number thirty-four. 
Um, all right, as I repo that up for for Agent Seventy there. Um, yeah, uh, that was a, a really good read this week, so I, I can't say that I blame you on on that one. Um, I think for myself, that was a lot this week. Uh, and there was actually some good stuff out uh, uh, in addition to Fantastic Four number 34 um, like Sword was really good um, uh, uh, actually you know the 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 I would say Black Cat definitely was pretty good some, certain things uh, there, there, there was a couple of there were some gems here this week let's say um, uh, but there was also a lot more books than, than we got a, got a chance to read um, because it was a, definitely a, a a heavy book week uh, for this month. I still attribute that to fifth week fifth week shenanigans, but we don't know one way or the other. Um, as I'm stalling for time trying to figure out which one, <laughs> you know what? Screw it. I'm actually going to go with that pick. Um, Fantasy Four Thirty Four was definitely a, a a good book. Like I said, um, I think I, I did have a potential click for um. For Beta Ray Bill, um, the ending did uh, like um, like uh, Agent Seventy kind of leave me scratching my head just a tad bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it was still good, um, you know. Uh, regardless, so yes, Fantastic Four number thirty four. I will uh, co-sign on that one. And with that, we can go to uh, the cinematic news. But first, an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Funko, Fun at First Sight. It's your home for exclusive collectibles, such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel including t-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise such as custom DIY pop figures. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko. To place your first order with 10% off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Funko link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code SHOP10, S-H-O-P-10, for your 10% off discount. Funko through cspn.us. Do it today. And now we get into the news. And we start off, as we do every week, with cinematic news. First up, uh, F9 scribe Daniel Casey to write uh, AGBO's Battle of the Planet feature. Um, this is news coming out of uh, Comic-Con Home, by the way, so you, there, there will definitely be some of that. Uh, in the wake of having the pandemic, pandemic's top-grossing Hollywood movie, F9 uh, screenwriter Daniel Casey... Uh, in the wake of having the pandemic's top-grossing Hollywood movie, uh, F9 screenwriter uh, Daniel Casey is pinning AGBO's featured, ad- featured adaptation of the 1978 Japanese anime series Battle of the Planets, a.k.a. Science Team Gotcha Man, for, for those in the know. Uh, Casey is working with Joe and Anthony Russo and their AGBO to uh, help construct the foundation of, for a Battle of the Planets universe. Casey's featured... Uh, screenplay will kick off the expansion of this franchise across multiple media. Uh, AGBO and Casey will work with uh, Tatsunoku, Tatsunoko, excuse me, the creator of the iconic original anime series 
on concepts to explore and expand the IP in depth. Uh, next up. Okay, next up. Uh, Batgirl casts in the height star Leslie Grace as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl, as reported by The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Bad Boys for Life filmmakers Adil L. Arby and Bilal Fala are directing Batgirl from a script by Christina Hodson, the DC mainstay behind Birds of Prey, and the upcoming The Flash. Kristen Burr is producing. Okay, so it's a different, a slightly different take on uh, Barbara Gordon. Mm-hmm. I guess. Um... Uh, Titans introduces uh, Tim Drake's family in season three photo. So Tim Drake, uh, Robin will not be will not be the only member of his family making an appearance on uh, the upcoming third well, season. I was about to say sorry. I wanted to to mention shout out to Yvonne Craig, the Batgirl of uh, Are You and Eartha Kitt. Uh, for some of us, also Batgirl. Oh, uh, wait, wait, not Becker. I'm sorry. You're right. Um, no, I'm thinking uh, Catwoman. My bad. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say. I'm like, no. I'm like, no. No, because I'm uh, thinking of... Um, um, you're just, you're just thinking Newark? of the costume and the shiny costume. Well, no, 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 no. I was actually thinking uh, Julie... Was it Julie Newmar? Wait, was it oh, Julie? Julie Newmar. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, I was... So I was the Catwoman. Of, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So I was kind of conflating the yeah. two and was still wrong because I can't... Uh, and, you know, on that. Uh, yeah. But regardless, yes, you are right. Um because yeah, that was, that was fire. I was like, "What?" <laughs> no, yeah, I like I said, I was I was conflating uh, characters and, and people, so no money. Um, anyway, like I said, um, Tim Drake's uh, making his appearance. Will be making his appearance on the upcoming third season of Titans. Uh, photo posted by the official t- Twitter account of the HBO Max series introduces Jack and Janet Drake, Tim's parents. Uh, the photo set in the Drake's restaurant, excellent Gotham Golden Noodle House. Uh, departure from the white collar occupations the parents held in the comics. Um, and there's a uh, picture of the tweet there. And apparently it says here that Jack and Janet appeared in the comics in August 1998's Batman 436. Uh, and it goes a little bit of backstory into those folks. And. Um, Tim's, uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, tied to identity crisis, which I don't know if it's going to come up on Titans or not. So, uh, according to showrunner Greg Walker, Drake will be obsessed with discovering the identities of both Batman and Robin. In doing so, he gets pulled into Dr. Gotham's dark mysteries. Uh, and yeah, Walker uh, uh, goes on to say that there's going to be other people that uh, end up showing up uh, during the course of uh, during the course of this season. Next up. Uh, I actually wanted to supplement uh, the story I just read. Just give me a second. And I will shoot Roddy Cat a link that he can get up on the feed on our on our stream because it happens across my feed just before uh, just before I read uh, I read this story. So just give me a second. And I will get this link over to uh, Roddy Cat. And uh, feel free to uh, play the Jeopardy music as I'm doing this.
Got the link. Sending it over to Roddy Cat as we speak. I just wanted to 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 kind of uh, throw this in here as a supplemental story. As you hear our internal chat going. Mm, okay. Uh, let's see here. Okay. There we go. Uh, yeah. Apparently, J.K. Simmons is in talk to in talks to return to the Batman universe as uh, Commissioner Gordon in the Batgirl movie. Okay. Cool. Right. So, what's interesting about that is that this article actually says that because the Matt Reeves Batman movie is essentially out of continu out of the out of the DC EU continuity, it seems that this Batgirl movie is definitely going to be in if they're bringing in J.K. Simmons to play uh, Commissioner Gordon. Right. Okay. So, interestingly enough, that uh, they're they're making uh, a push. If, if in fact this does come to fruition, to keep uh, the Batgirl movie in the extended DC, well, the DCEU, without having to restate that it's extended. Sure. All right. Um, next up, so uh, I had uh, this story Legends of Tomorrow. Matt Ryan returns for season seven, but not as Constantine. So long, John. When DC's Legends of Tomorrow returns for Season 7, longtime DC TV star Matt Ryan will not reprise his role as Constantine. Instead, he will play a new character in a series regular role. Okay? So Constantine's arc on the show uh, is coming to an end in Season 6. Matt Ryan's journey with the Legends is not over. Showrunner Phil Klemmer revealed during the show's uh, Comic-Con at-home panel. Okay. He's going to play... A new an all new character named Dr. Gwyn Davies, who is officially described as an eccentric scientist from the early 20th century who might be the team's only hope next season. Okay. Yeah, uh, interesting to note if you're if you're not in to know that um this is not the first time they've repurposed uh, an actor in this in this particular show for a uh a different character. Cause they guess because they wanted to keep the, the actor around. So that's actually kinda cool. Um, YouTube's Superhero Diaries introduces its Alfred Pennyworth, apparently. Uh, CBR can exclusively reveal the first look at uh, Patrick Bristow as Batman's loyal butler Alfred Pennyworth in the YouTube web comedy series Superhero Diaries. Um, many will recognize Bristow from such films as, as uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer, Transformers Age of Extinction, and the 2005 remake of The Youngest Longest Yard, which I totally forgot they had done. Uh, he's also appeared in television shows like Family Guy, Mad About You, and even played the Wigmaster in a favorite, uh, fan favorite episode of Seinfeld. Uh, so apparently, did, uh, created by Digital Sky and Scott Zakarin, uh, Superhero Diaries is a weekly YouTube comedy series that celebrates the superhero boom through the lens of both action and satire. Uh, in addition to Bristow's Alfred, the show will feature Phil Lamar's Green Lantern a role he previously played in animated form in Justice League, Justice League United, if you didn't already know that. Um, and it launches on when it has already launched uh, on the 21st of this month, so uh, last week. Uh, the series will run for 30 episodes over 10 weeks. Uh, if it sounds familiar, it's because Superhero Diaries uh, debuted several episodes during a soft launch in early 2021. Uh, due to limitations brought on by COVID-19 pandemic, the stars and series were first to record their segments 
while socially distanced, with green screens and editing being utilized to frame this together. So there you go. If if uh, that's a thing. Next. Next up, DC's Injustice film announces an all-star cast and releases a first image. So the voice cast for Warner Brothers uh, Home Entertainment's animated Injustice film has been revealed, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Injustice features Justin Hartley, uh, a.k.a. Kevin Pearson from This Is Us as Superman. Anson Mount actually gets to speak in one of these superhero things as opposed to being Black Bolt. Uh, He's playing (laughs) Batman. Laura Bailey is Lois Lane and Ramakushna. I'm not sure who Ramakushna is. Zach Callison is Damian Wayne, I presume, and Jimmy Olsen. Brian T. Delaney is Green Lantern. Brandon Michael Hall as Cyborg. Cyborg Edwin Hodge as Mr. Terrific and Killer Croc. Oliver Hudson as Plastic Man. Jillian Jacobs as Harley Quinn. Yuri Lowenthal as Mirror Master, Flash and Shazam, Derek Phillips as Nightwing, and Aquaman, Kevin Pollack as Joker, and Jonathan Kent, uh, not doing his um, impression of, um, oh my god, Kevin Pollack's impression of um, Christopher Walken. Awesome. Uh, Anika Nani Rose as Catwoman, Reed Scott as Green Arrow, and Victor Zaz, Farhan Tahir as Rachel Ghoul. Uh, Fred Ta- uh, Tadeschiore as Captain Adam, not Megatron. Um, Janet Varney as Wonder Woman. And Andrew Morgado as a Mirror Master Soldier. Okay. Well, yeah, cool. Uh, some notable names there. Uh, let's see. Boop. Next up is Michael B. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so this particular story has um, gotten... Uh, some very stupid legs on the internet recently, but for obvious reasons, as you will, as you will see, uh, Michael B. Jordan working on an HBO Max project uh, for Superman may possibly star. Uh, Black Panther star Michael B. Jordan is developing a Superman limited series for HBO Max, in which he may star as Val Zod. Uh, according to Collider, Jordan and his Outlier Society production company has already hired a writer to pin the script, though it's unclear who. As for Jordan himself, it said that he may play the title character, but has, uh, hasn't to commit it yet. Jordan and Outlier Society are also currently developing a static shock movie, shock movie for Warner Brothers and DC Films. Obviously, um, if you know why this kind of went, uh, went up on Twitter and the internet as it was, is because how... <sighs> it's, uh, um, so, folks, if you don't know, uh, Val Zod is the Superman of Earth 2. He's not Clark Kent. He's not trying to be Clark Kent, as far as I know. I don't remember that much about this character, but I do know that much. So, obviously, people are a little like, why are they making Clark, black, Clark, uh, Clark Kent black? Like, why do we need another, uh, why do we need a black Superman? Why can't we do original characters, even though you don't support the original characters that, that, that are already out there? But, but also, all that kind of nonsense has been going on, and believe me, I've, I've, I've gotten some of that. Uh, like, you, you can do both, folks. You can really do both. But this is not Clark Kent. This is a different Superman. And if you knew anything about that, and you know, and even when you bring that up to people, and they still say, they're still making Clark, they're still making them Clark Kent. I'm like, no, that's not entirely true. DC and Marvel has a multiverse. They, things play out differently. This is one of those this is one of those instances. Calm the fuck down. Anyway, um 
that's that. We'll see if it comes to light, comes to comes to fruition. Next up. I wanted to point out an error in one of my jokes from the last story about the voice cast from DC's Injustice. Okay. Fred Tascatori ta, uh, Tatasiori mm-hmm. isn't the wasn't the voice of Megatron. He was in fact a oh. lot younger than that actor and is the voice of the Incredible Hulk mm-hmm. from the Avengers Mighty Avengers cartoons and and uh, and, and and other um, uh, animated projects, including and, and video games as well. Mm-hmm. So that is the character that he's known to voice. So uh, <laughs> you know, I want to point out a quick error. It is late. I'm tired, and the jokes are flying definitely off the hip. Um, okay, sure. Next up. Next story is Disney Plus's Chip and Dale series drops an adorable first trailer. So uh, the chipmunks get a taste of the big city in the trailer for the animated series Chip and Dale Park Life. Um, it's directed by Gene Carroll, who previously served as a background artist and layout director on the French animated comedy series Augie and the Cockroaches. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, going to premiere new episodes on Wednesdays rather than Fridays. And, uh, you know, it's a part of the streamer's efforts to avoid competing directly with Netflix and Hulu. Okay. Next up. Uh, Marvel is launching a mini studio for future animation projects. Um, With What If right around the corner, Marvel Studios has announced that it won't be the last animation project that the production company creates. Uh, Victoria Alonso, executive, you know who she is, uh, and one of the main figures, actually you might not know, executive VP of film production at Marvel Studios and one of the main figures responsible for crafting the MCU alongside uh, Kevin Feige spoke to Variety about the company's first foray into animation, revealing that a mini-studio, quote-unquote, will help usher in more animated fare. Uh, We're going to have our animation branch and mini studio, uh, and there will be more to come from that as well, Uh, Alonzo says. uh, We're super excited about animation, which is my first love. I mean, which is kind of weird, given that they have animated projects out. I guess this is more uh, along the lines of uh, more MCU-focused ones, I don't know, or or whatever the case may be. be. Or maybe just in general, and putting everything under the umbrella. You know what I was gonna say is five will get you ten. They 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 put out what if, you know, with outside studios presumably. Right. And, you know they put that together and it's going to play out and it seems to be playing out much like the MCU played out where, if you recall, Marvel, Marvel Studios worked in conjunction with other established studios uh, to put out the early phase of the MCU and then Marvel Studios once they got you know, comfortable with the process, decided to do everything in-house. Right. So I suspect, this is just conjecture on my part, I suspect that something similar happened here where Marvel figured, you know, if we kept everything in-house, costs maybe go down or they'll have more control over the final product or, you know, all the various reasons that people bring things like that in-house. So they decided to create their own, you know, animation studio within Marvel Studios. Right. To keep a you know, to 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 try to fulfill all of those desires. Yeah, but the the weird thing about this is like one, it's not like this is the first time uh they have Marvel animated stuff. Like we've you know, as far as I know Actually, I don't know if like that Marvel, uh, like the Spider Man show is still going on or whatever uh, or if they have anything of the like. Cause, like 
I figured they had made they've been making a play to bring animation in house with like the the previous Spider Man stuff because we, as you well know, Spectacular was the, I think the last one uh, that you know or, or either Sony other, right right that got cut off because they were you know doing whatever. Now, granted, Spider is a different case because that's Sony uh, Sony's license. So, but the the case with like the Avengers stuff that's been going on, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, being a being a, a animated project and stuff like that, you, you figure they already had that kind of in house already, and that mm-hmm. yeah, but I think you know, but I think as you said, um, you know, uh, you, you know, you mentioned. The Spidey cartoons, I don't think – well, the thing is the, the, the only rights that Sony actually has are the, for the movie rights, the live-action rights. The cartoon rights all reverted to Disney, um, as, I think, as part of their deal. Because really? um, I was uh, under the impression that, that that part was still the same with the animation and movies, but I, I could be very much – No, but that's why it's on – no, because that's why it's on Disney+. Plus. Right. Well, I've just figured a deal was made in that, so okay. Right. So so my understanding is that, um, you know, but 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 again, you know, like I said, purely pure conjecture on my part. Sure. Uh, that, it, you know, it kind of seems to be mirroring the situation that that played out with the MCU, mm-hmm. you know, where they started out outsourcing some of the stuff and decided to uh, keep it in house to, you know, at the very least, gain more creative control and or lower costs. Right. And I also feel like this is definitely prob- possibly, uh, even though it's coming in late, you would think it's coming in later than you would think it would with, uh, like, you know, Disney and Star Wars doing kind of a, had already been doing a similar thing with having a, uh, you know, the storyboard group and Marvel games kind of doing a similar, uh, similar thing with having a mm-hmm. story group or, or, and whatnot, kind of putting things in house so they would have more control about. Uh, things of that nature. It, it fits also uh, along the lines of that as well, uh, which could very well be the case. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But it, like I said, the, the, being that they've already had uh, animated projects already, it seems like oh, why why they hadn't thought about this uh, before now. Again, we don't really know the full scope of it. So next up, though. Next up, so Ahsoka Tano live action herself, Rosario Dawson, shared an Instagram story of another user celebrating the casting of Mena, Mena Masood as Ezra and Lars Mickelson as Thrawn on her own Instagram story, which is a confirmation of earlier reports that those two have respectively landed those Star Wars roles. That's, um, you know, it's interesting that... Uh, 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 you know, that's essentially a confirmation of these two casting announcements. Indeed. To which, yeah, anybody familiar with the uh, the end of Star Wars Rebels kind of knows where this is going to seem like it's going to go and what they kind of set up in that. So that'll be kind of interesting, I guess. Actually, no, there's not even a guess. I, 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 it will. Um... But uh, Gundam Studio previews 11 minutes of new mecha series, uh, Kiyokai Senkai. Senki, or Senki or Senkai? I think it's Senki, sorry. Um, Sunrise, the animation studio behind Mobile Suit Gundam, has released uh, the first 11 minutes of its latest sci-fi mecha action epic, uh, Kiyokai Senkai. Senki. Uh, the extended preview for Kiyokai Senki is, was released to Bandai's official YouTube channel. 
The new series is being produced by At Sunrises Beyond Vision, a relatively new branch of the acclaimed animation studio that's best known for its work on 2019's uh, Gundam Build Divers R.E. Rise. Uh... And uh, despite similarly having a more serious tone in the, than the lighthearted build subseries, the new show will feature many of the staff who worked on Gundam Build Divers and Gundam Build Fighters, including uh, script supervisor uh, Nibiru Kimura and the character designer Kenichi um, Anuki. Uh, the series will be directed by Star Debater 2022's um, Nobuyoshi Habara. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, new mech series, folks. Yeah, gotta love it. Uh, and then, then this article kind of goes into a little bit of the um, what it's about, but we don't. But you can check that out in the show notes if you uh, feel so inclined. Next. Next up. Uh, so at a special Dragon Ball panel at Comic-Con at home, uh, Dragon Ball series producer Akio Ioku and animation producer Norihiro Hayashida revealed new character designs uh, for several of uh, the characters in Dragon Ball, um, which prov- which also provide a hint as to when the new movie takes place. So this is the n- upcoming Dragon Ball Super superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have uh, you know one of the new designs shown was for Goku's granddaughter uh, Pan or Panchan. Yep. Uh, who is old enough to attend kindergarten. Um, we also get a, a slight recoloring of uh, Piccolo. And uh, we have a different color scheme for uh, Kuririn's um, police uniform. I refuse to call them by their uh, their anglicized <laughs> names. I'm like, yo, who the hell is Krillin? I love it. I love it. Uh, Agent Seventy having just caught up with uh, the uh, the Dragon Ball mythos in its whole. Uh, well, you haven't done the movies yet, have you? I've done the movies that are canon. <laughs> yes. Wait. <laughs> does that include? Yeah. Does, does that include uh, the super stuff? Yeah. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, which one call it? Basically, the uh, the Broly, the, the the Super Broly movie brought. The essentially brought the old Broly movie into canon, but not really. Just it brought the character in, right? Yeah, it's kind of a cherry picking of uh, what is, what isn't. But yeah, some of those old movies are kind of fun. Um, it's kind of like Star Wars in that regard, a little bit. Yeah, you know, like redoing, you know, like kind of uh, you know, uh, uh, going over and saying, okay, so we'll take Thrawn, you know, we'll right. take this, we'll take that. So right. So cool stuff. Uh, I'm not sure when this movie uh, says uh, sometime in 2022. Got it. All right. Yep. Uh, Netflix debuts first look at Usagi Yojimbo series Samurai Rabbit. Uh, at this year's San Diego Comic Con at home, Netflix offered viewers a look at its upcoming animated project, Samurai Rabbit: The Usagi Chronicles, a spinoff of the long-running comic series Usagi Yojimbo. Uh, on the panel were showrunners Doug and Candy Langs- Langdale, who broke down the story of Samurai Rabbit. Uh, the series takes place 1,000 years in the future and follows the story of uh, Yuichi Usagi, a descendant of Usagi Yojimbo's uh, protagonist, uh, Miyamoto Usagi. 
Yuichi dreams of becoming a great swordsman like his ancestor, but his brash and impulsive actions cause him uh, to accidentally release a new a wave of yokai onto the city of Neo Edo. Uh, Yuichi assembles an unlikely team to clean up his mess and protect the series, which weirdly enough sounds like Samurai Jack in certain aspects. Definitely. So there you go. That thing is coming. It was. We don't know. We don't have a release date, but it's definitely going to be on Netflix, as as per said. Next up. Next up, uh, Netflix is reportedly developing a live action Pokemon series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Detective Pikachu might not be the last time you see real people interacting with fictional, but. <laughs> With fictional Pokemon. Netflix is reportedly in early development on a live-action Pokemon TV series, according to Variety, with Lucifer showrunner and executive producer Joe Henderson attached to shepherd the project to a screen near you. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I still can't personally say if Detective Pikachu was worth it, but I have also not seen it again. So, I mean, I have not seen it, so I can't really say. That's... Weird. I couldn't see either. I could not see either. Never watched it. Yeah. Uh, one of these days I will. Soon. Uh, Invincible's Robert... As a matter of fact, I'm going to take these next two since they're related, kind of. Uh, Invincible's Robert Kirkman has the perfect actor in mind to voice Conquest. Um, so Robert Kirkman can't wait for Invincible to adapt um, uh, Viltrumite antagonist conquest into the animated series uh during comic-con at home 2021 kirkman was asked which invincible character he's most excited to see on the amazon show who did not make it into season one um to which he single immediately singled out conquest uh i think we're all looking forward to seeing conquest i think we got a small glimpse of conquest in season one hopefully we'll be seeing him very soon kirkman said I know there's a lot of tweaks to that story, a lot of enhancements to that story that I'm very excited about that I'm that I've been cooking up, and so I can't wait for that. Um, I've also got I think the perfect actor in mind, but but I'm not going to say nothing according to this. Uh, so I'm very excited about Conquest. Um, and on that note, um, Robert Kirkman also teases a Wolfman appearance in uh, the Amazon series. Uh, let's see. So, Invincible creator Rocky McKirkman teased Wolfman may appear in future seasons of the acclaimed Amazon series. Uh, during the self-same panel that we just mentioned, uh, Kirk- Kirkman briefly touched on the topic of Gary Hampton, also known as Wolfman, one of the most popular and iconic characters from the Invincible comic book series, if you say so, um, <laughs> article writer. Uh, when a fan asked Kirkman if the superheroes like Anthrop had a chance of making an appearance in the Invincible animated series, Kirkman simply said, "There's a chance. I'll leave it at that." Now, granted, folks, I say that with 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 the tone I said it as is. I am not that familiar with uh, Invincible, the series, outside of the lead character and you know a couple of cursory characters. So, I, I, sure. <laughs> I, people tend to throw around popular and iconic very willy-nilly. So if that is actually the case, have fun with it. Next up. Next up, Transformers the movie returns to theaters for its 35th anniversary, sending children home crying after watching Optimus Prime get killed. 
1986 animated movie will air in U.S. theaters on Sunday, September 26th and Tuesday, September 28th at 7 p.m. local times. The screenings will also feature new exclusive content. Uh, yeah, so this is from Fathom Events. Till all or one. Oh, yeah, we've talked about this before, um, but this is kind of, I guess, an... Um and an update to it because I feel like we've mentioned that it, this was going to happen uh, within the past year. Or so if you haven't seen Transformers the movie, and as Agent Seventy said, uh, cried your eyes out when Optimus died. Spoiler alert! Um, <laughs> then yeah, you get a chance to uh, check it out for the for the anniversary uh, in a big theater. Um. So yeah. Next up, and last... Uh, shout, out to, shout out to our very own uh, TimDog98 for uh, preparing this piece for CBR.com. Sure, yes. That we, that we were just referencing. Yes. Uh, and speaking of Transformers news, uh, Transformers fans celebrate Optimus Prime as Peter Cullen turns 80 years old as of July 28th, which was uh, actually the, the day before yesterday as of uh, this recording. Uh, Transformers fans celebrated the 80th birthday of the man behind the much-loved leader of the Autobots, Optimus Prime, Peter Cullen. The Canadian actor has lent his distinctive tone to many characters over the years, um, such as Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, Monterey Jack and the original uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he... Didn't he play Scooby-Doo? Wasn't he the voice of Scooby-Doo? And a lot of animal characters. Um, I'm going to look Eeyore. that up. He was no, the no, voice no. of Eel. No, no, I know it says that, but I'm just saying. But yeah. I feel like... Um, hold on a second. Um, acting. Acting. Uh, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. He wasn't a Scooby-Doo. Uh, okay, no. But, okay, no, maybe not. Okay. Never mind then. Or maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Mega Frank Frank Walker. That was. Um, I feel like one of them voiced Scooby Doo uh, at, at some point. Um, oh wait, no, new Scooby Doo mysteries. Additional voice. No, no, that's still not. So yeah, he definitely wasn't in the Scooby Doo series, just not as the, the character. Thing. Either way, happy birthday, Peter Cullen. Uh, till all are one. <laughs> yes, happy birthday, Optimus. Okay, next up. Uh, so that's it for uh, cinematic news, right? That is indeed. Okay, so we're going to transition over to comic book news. You take this one. Okay. Uh, writer Rodney Barnes and artist Jason Sean Alexander are expanding the world of their Eisner-nominated Philadelphia with a spin-off titled Nita Hawes's Nightmare Blog. Nita Hawes's Nightmare Blog is pure horror in the classical sense of the word. Barnes said its roots are in the tradition of the classic horror films and novels he's loved throughout his entire life. He's incredibly excited to see how fans take to the story. Okay. So I know, as you may or may not know, Agent 70 has been the one reading Philadelphia. That's why I asked him to, to take this one. I don't, is this a character that shows up, is in a book that you know of? or, or is this I'm looking something? at the story now, so... Right. Um, no, I mean, the name doesn't ring a bell, so it might just be a... 
something that uh, you know maybe jumps out of the story, but I I'm not I don't see the uh, the connection right away. I got you right, or maybe something new for this that will connect into the universe. You know, like like exactly. Yeah, like it's exactly. kind of much like much like the backup story that is running through the page the the the, the pages of Philadelphia too. So gotcha. Okay, so cool. Uh, whoops. Masters of the Universe Revelation Masterverse figures wave two picks. Uh, so though Mattel has the has had the listings out for a while, they held off on revealing the Masterverse uh, figure figures wave two until Masters of the Universe Revelation debuted. Which, by the way, has happened if, we, if you weren't listening earlier. Uh, interestingly, they are far less spoilery than some of the figures already released, since uh, most appeared in promo images already, according to this article. As with the first wave, it features three main characters and one WoW card. Uh, the Mouse Man slot goes for Spike Or, um, who's spoiler alert, who appears on the show, I guess that's a spoiler, I don't know, is uh, brief. But it delivers major players, Tila, Beastman, and Man at Arms. Why wasn't she in the first wave? We don't know. Uh, actually, we kind of know. We don't, we don't, yeah. Um, <laughs> like I said, I don't want really to really spoil uh, Messages of the Universe Revelation. So, um, so yeah, that is a thing. I don't know when is this thing. We have a when is this coming out? Um, Wintel hasn't officially announced a release date, but there is a pre-order scheduled uh, for October. So, and uh, according to the article, maybe we'll find out when season, well, part two of season one <laughs> will drop of the series on Netflix. Next up. All right, next up. So, uh, this is this article that we're going through uh, has some announcements for new toys over the next year, uh, and and probably heading into the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. So you know, as Roddy Cat scrolls through, we'll just highlight a few of these. Mm-hmm. You know, some new Transformers figures, uh, Beast Wars figures, um, you know, Beast Wars Optimus Primal and. Uh, Megatron based on the scene in Transformers, the movie where Unicron, spoiler alert, reformats the character into Galvatron. Um, we have uh, a Count Chocula and Frankenberry figures. Oh, my gosh. That's scary looking. Um, some Power Rangers retro Morphin Ninjor. Goodness gracious. Uh, a Diamond Select Toys Rocketeer deluxe uh, figure that it looks like it's packaged in a VHS box. Um, a Lego Star Wars 2021 Advent Calendar. That's hysterical. Uh, a Mattel Masters of the Universe Mega Constructs Advent Calendar as well. Uh, oh, that's cool. A NECA Gargoyles Ultimate Goliath figure. That's really cool looking for fans of gargoyles. <laughs> um, Gentle Giant Star Wars The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian Jumbo 12-inch action figure. Uh, Beast Kingdom Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, Davy Jones. Okay. And uh, that's it for this particular article, but that's pretty cool that we're starting to get these uh, toy announcements for Christmas season. Yep, yep. Uh, and speaking of uh, Toy Corner, Marvel Legends announces What If and Sylvie figures, along with a few others. Um, Marvel's Hasbro, uh, excuse me, flip that. 
Hasbro's Marvel Legends line has been killing it lately. Um, having been recently revealed the, the the Galactus figure that we talked about last week, and now they are revealing their next wave of six inch figures as a part of Hasbro Pulse Fan First Wednesday live event. Uh, Agent Seventy told me about one particular one, which is which had me bring this article up in the first place. Uh, most of the wave. Uh, most of the way centers on Marvel Studios' upcoming What If series on Disney Plus, and a lot of these figures are giving us uh, some details on uh, about the upcoming series that we didn't know before. So, for those of you who want to go into, yeah, this basically article says, "Hey, spoiler alert!" I guess for these figures and whatever. Um, so we see here that um, just like the this Marvel Legends lands is a builder figure for Uatu the Watcher, right? Uh, and the figures that are in here, uh, let's see, we got, uh, Peggy Carter, Captain America. We have, um, I guess that's what war machine, uh, Steve Rogers. Yeah. It's supposed to be Steve Rogers in like an Iron Man style suit. Yes. Or someone looking like a, or yeah. Or I was about to say iron giant, but also Iron Man V1. But anyway, uh, zombies, uh, zombie Captain America. Uh, let's see. Doctor Strange in two different forms. One uh, uh, looks like a Nebula figure. And... Yeah, no, that's that, that's supposed to be Spider-Man Vampire Hunter. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that's why well, it looks like, kind, of, kind of looks like Dracula. Okay, because I could have sworn I saw on the trailer that he was doing magic, but maybe I'm I'm maybe mistaken on that. Well, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean that's that Doctor case, Strange but... in that first, yeah, that first kind of recolored, you know, that multiple color uh, uh version of dr strange i think that's right, right. but yeah it's you know it, it's weird you know to kind of think about you know what could possibly what we'll possibly see in uh the what if series now looking at these toys right but also we get a figure uh um another figure of uh the the loki variant sylvie aka the enchantress i still say um that is also coming out separately from this line, I think. Uh, yes. No, no. Actually, no. It is in this line. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, seven figures. So, yeah, there you go. So, Sylvia is definitely in this. Uh, we also get pictures of one Carol Danvers in her binary form. That is going to be, looks like, I'm assuming, a Walgreens and EB Games exclu- uh, exclusive. Yeah, EB Games Canada. So, it's going to be a Walgreens exclusive you know, we still haven't seen too many of the Cosmic Wave, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Ryder, Nova, and Quasar. So this is the last of the Cosmic Wave that's exclusive to Walgreens. So, yeah, they're going to put out a binary. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking for that era of Carol Danvers' career, hey, you know, it's a cool figure. Yeah. So, um, you know, that'll be interesting to try to hunt down. Are there Star Gemma's figures? Uh, no. Okay. Interestingly enough interestingly enough but that would be a box set Probably, you know that would yeah. be a hard sell to try to sell single figures of uh corsair and raza and 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 uh momzel hepzibah and uh uh chode sure, 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 and, sure. uh you know here i am running through their whole roster right mm-hmm. you know considering that we've only gotten one member of the imperial guard we've only gotten gladiator so yeah. Um, also, we have a figure, which is the one that uh, put that prompted me to find this article and the one that uh, Agent 70 told me about, because he knew, he knew my, uh, my, um, my excitement for this. Tigra, which I, we may have talked about before in the show uh, fairly recently or something, but uh, maybe, maybe not. Um, 
but yes, a tiger figure is is officially out, which we uh, we knew it was coming, but um, or not officially out. I believe um, pre orders are up. For yeah, pre orders are up. Yeah, I didn't. So when you told me about it, and I saw it earlier, I didn't see it on Hasbro Pulse like you told me, but it might have been my timing uh, of when because I looked at it earlier this morning. Okay, and, and maybe my search was also off, or so I don't know, but to. But regardless, I didn't see it then, but I'm gonna definitely go look for this because I am I, I really, really would like this figure. I like Tiger. Uh we also get a vulture figure. Um where Yeah, is it's it? gonna be a deluxe. It's a what it is is that it's a deluxe uh version that's more movie accurate. Right. So it uh because it used it was um because I built this figure because it was it came out in a really cool Spider-Man wave mm-hmm. and it was uh like an early version you know, like a production version of the vulture suit and the wings were a part of the builder figure, right? Which is kind of whack, but um, ultimately, uh, this is like the, uh, the 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 most movie accurate version, and they're putting it out as like a special, uh, like a like a special, um, uh, like kind of like a premier level figure, you know, on its own, individually packaged. At I think it's a Target exclusive, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't know if it actually says here. I think it oh, shows yes, the picture. You are correct. Yeah, no, it, it yeah, does say here. Picture. It's yeah. So um, so yeah, and also in addition to this, before we uh, move on to the next story, they're also doing army builder hand ninjas that are in black uniforms as opposed to the red uniforms that came with the Stiltman builder figure wave. So if you missed out on that, like I did. Um, and would actually rather have your ninjas in uh, black garb, then you can hop over to um, Hasbro Pulse and um, oh, the the Tigra pre-order on Hasbro Pulse is sold out. Uh, yep, I was just looking at it actually as I pull up as I bring up the uh, the Hasbro Pulse site. Uh, yeah, and- it's going to be other ways to get it, but. Uh, you know, uh, it is sold out on Hasbro Pulse, as is the uh, the classic uh, Hercules, which is kind of disappointing. I'm gonna have to find that through another source. Ooh, uh, not with not for the whole, uh, not for the actually the Sylvia is also uh, sold out, but apparently the rest of that wave um, still up, still yeah, still still a thing. Weird that the Hercules is sold out. I don't know why. Um, no idea. I mean, people, you know, people are looking for that classic version. I guess so. You know, it'll be, you know, no, no need to fret over some of these. You know what I mean? Like uh, the ones that, that the ones that you worry about, are the ones that you don't think they're necessarily going to come back with, like that Firestar or Tigra. You know, so like but- uh, I think I would have been uh, I think I would have been in a right panic if uh, if I, I wasn't able to get that Firestar. Um, through Amazon, I think I ended up getting it. Right, same as uh, same as me. But anyway, moving right along, so, so that's kind yeah. of a, a, a temporary bummer for me because, like I said, I wanted that Tiger figure. Um, yeah, there'll be ways. Though you know, we'll find other ways to get it, folks. So uh, let's you know, we'll, we'll try not to stress out too much over it yet. But every once in a while, we run into roadblocks when it comes to getting our favorite uh, characters as Marvel Legends. Sure, sure. Next uh, up. Next. Next up, so the next story is new middle grade Marvel collections are set for the holidays. Marvel's October solicits include three collected editions with potential appeal to readers of middle grade graphic novels. All three are rated for ages 10 and up and have a trim size of 6 by 9 and between 112 and 128 pages each. 
um, which adds to a growing body uh, body of middle grade graphic novels featuring Marvel characters. Reptile Brink of Extinction by writers Terry Bloss and Christos Gage and penciled by Enid Balam and Steve Ewey with a cover by Paco Medina collects Reptile 1 through, one through 4 as well as uh, the character's first appearance in Avengers the Initiative featuring Reptile. Uh, it's going to be on sale on December 8th with uh, MSRP of $13.99. The uh, collection of WEB of Spider-Man uh, by writer Kevin Schnick and penciler Alberto Albuquerque uh, with cover by, by uh, Gurihuru, as I said, collects the, the first five issues of that book. Um, that's going to be due out on November 24th, uh, Thanksgiving time, with an MSRP of $13.99. And Marvelverse Thor, uh, it's a collection of comics by various uh, creators. Lots of different Thor stories here. Uh, this 120-page volume, uh, collects a bunch of short, kid-friendly stories about Thor and his fellow Asgardians. Uh, the release date is December 15th, and the MSRP is $9.99. Cool. Uh, Dark Ages... Sorry. Yep, make sure that I was still on the right place. Dark Ages cover gives Miles Morales a symbiote suit and makes more Marvel changes. Uh, so Marvel, um, some of that we may have talked about in the past, I can't remember, but, uh, regardless, Miles Morales, Iron Man's, uh, Wolverine and a host of other heroes are receiving extreme makeovers in Marvel's upcoming Dark Ages alternate universe series. Uh, the cover of Dark Ages 2, penned by Tom Taylor and illustrated by Ivan Coelho, appropriately features Apocalypse looming large uh, as the Avengers, X-Men, and other associated heroes band together to bring humanity together after the age of technology is brought to an abrupt end. Uh, the cover of issue 2 offers a glimpse at the radical changes uh, some heroes will undergo uh, the course of the series. Miles is wearing a symbiote suit while an older Peter Parker dons an oversized web shooters alongside an Iron Man in steampunk armor. Uh, the Laura Kinney version of Wolverine sporting tactical gear is also present along with what may be a grown-up Valeria Richards and a new Spider-Girl. Um, yeah, so Dark Ages number two goes on sale in October from Marvel Comics, and uh, as we may have mentioned last week, um, uh, Marvel solicits are out um, for October. Uh, next up, Sorry. Uh, next up, uh, you can sample Marvel's Avengers, the video game, for free later this month on PC, Stadia, and PlayStation. Square Enix has announced uh, the game will have a free play weekend from July 29th, that's this weekend now, through August 1st to coincide with the permanent launch of the multiple hero feature that lets you assemble a squad full of hulks or whatever you wish. Developer Crystal Dynamics has also teased that the weekend will have perks for returning players too, like quadruple XP. If you decide to buy the game permanently, you'll keep any progress and purchases that you made on the platform that you sampled, on the same platform that you used to sample the game, and you'll have access to the entire Avengers campaign, as well as the Kate Bishop and Hawkeye operations. Square Enix noted that a similar Xbox weekend is going to come out in the coming months. Yeah. So if you haven't, uh, you've heard the bad press about Marvel's Avengers, but still kind of curious about it, there you go. You can check it out this weekend as of this recording. 
Um, probably by the time this recording comes uh, out in audio form, it might be slightly late. So, sorry about that, I guess. I don't know. Um, rumor. Uh, roster for NetherRealm's Marvel's fighting game leaks. So, yeah, again, grain of salt, this whole thing, because we still don't know whether that thing's going to be an actual thing. But there was a rumor that NetherRealm purveyors of uh, Marvel Combat was going to be making a uh, not totally unlike Injustice uh, style Marvel fighting game. Um, there was also probably a, a rumor to where there might which I very much doubt would happen a Marvel versus DC um, fighting game also. But uh, like I said, I doubt that. But again, this is a rumor and comes off of Reddit. So you grin salt this whole thing, but there's a roster here that includes some, uh, a lot of folks from uh, Marvel versus Capcom, unsurprisingly. Right. Um, so yeah, you can check that out if you are so interesting, interested yeah. Next up. Definitely some interesting choices on that list, too. Mm, yeah, for, for, yeah, definitely. And obviously pop, popular choices also, so no surprise either way. Next up. Next up, Marvel gives Spider-Woman a, a ferocious a ferocious and stylish new arch enemy. So uh, CBR had an exclusive look at Spider-Woman number 14 by, by Carla Pacheco and Pere Perez which introduces Jessica Drew's new fashionable arch nemesis. Um, the issue uh, de- uh, uh, number 14, that is, debuts a new villain named Rose Rocher, who will come to torment Jessica Drew in her next adventure. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a whine, but hey, we'll see uh, how that how that pans out. Uh, X-Men creators want to hold a new Hellfire Gala and a new X-Men team election every year. Uh, earlier this year, X-Men fans got the chance to vote for two members of the recently relaunched super, superheroized X-Men team. And sometime the next year, it seems they'll get another chance as X-Men series writer uh, Jerry Duggan has revealed that Hellfire Gala party and his accompanying X-Vote will happen annually. Uh, during a conversation about the aftermath of the Hellfire Gala event as a part of Marvel's uh, X-Men Comic Con panel at home panel, excuse me, uh, X-Men group editor Jordan D. White and writers Jerry uh, Duggan, uh, Vita Alaya, uh, Benjamin Percy, uh, all agreed that the Hellfire Gala, both the story and the party itself, were a success. Uh, moderators uh, Ryan Pinagos then asked a fan-submitted question about whether the gala would become an annual event. Uh, Quote-unquote, when Emma threw the party, she said it would be the first, uh, that it was the first and that she didn't intend for it to be the last answered uh, white. So if people are into it, I think we'd be thrilled to keep it coming. So there you go. Uh, the, uh, the, the writers each edge code uh, white's approval for the idea of telling another hellfire gala story next year, uh, quote unquote, who doesn't want an excuse to dress up and show off all the humans show off to all the humans flex on them. A joke, a bit of a uh, but the news didn't stop there. As the conversation turned to who each of the writers may have voted for in the X vote, Duggan personally expressed his vote for Tempo uh, and his wish to bring her to the X Men while stating his excitement over adding uh, vote winning mutant Polaris to the team. Uh, then it kind of goes on to um, go on about uh, the, the rest of the panelists' favorites uh, and, and so on from there. 
But um, she. Oh, well, one last quote from this is uh, the interesting way we're going to do this from now on, according to Duggan, is that we'll have a yearly Herald Fire Gala with a newly elected team hesitantly uh, sliding, perhaps. Um, so Duggan capped off the apparent announcement with a joke, adding, so if your favorite isn't on the X-Men team, it's because you let that character down. Mm. <laughs> so... That's going to be an interesting uh, uh, turn of events. Haha. <laughs> um, next up. Next up. So the Fantastic Four book has hit delays on the way to the comic's 60th anniversary, as as we mentioned earlier. Uh, Kang and all his variants return to Marvel Comics this fall for a showdown with the FF for their 60th anniversary. But that showdown is being delayed. Uh, as the issue that led up to it was Fantastic Four 34 released this week was actually scheduled to go on sale two weeks ago, but was delayed at the last minute. Whatever affected it is seemingly spreading as FF number 35. The anniversary issue has been postponed until September 1st, which means no issue from the FF in August at all. Okay. Yeah, so we kind of alluded to the delay with the Fantastic Four earlier when we talked about this issue, and there you go. Um, and on more Fantastic Four news, actually speaking of, uh, Fantastic, uh, excuse me, Marvel previews John Romita Jr.'s return with 60th anniversary of Fantastic Four number 35. Um, so the original story here is that... Um, well, as we know, um, uh, August marks the 60th anniversary of the Fantastic Four in the Marvel. Well, yeah, in the Marvel Universe, duh. Um, and celebrate September 1st, Fantastic Four 35. Um, just missed it by a day, according to this, but I think that's going to be a little bit more off. Uh, will be an oversized issue, which will include not only John Romita Jr.'s first apparent work on interior pages since his return to Marvel but the return of Mark Wade to the Fantastic Four. Uh, and there was an update to this article that says that uh, Marvel has uh, released a new wraparound cover and interior artwork by John Romita Jr. to the upcoming um, Fantastic Four 35 uh, anniversary issue. And uh, as stated before, this issue is uh, the return of uh, John Romita Jr., after uh, being at DC for so long. Uh, according to Marvel, the new cover serves as both the celebration of the anniversary and a teaser of the issue's story written by Dan Slott, a showdown across a Fantastic Four history against the master of time travel, Kang. So you can check that out in the show notes if you want to see some, uh, see some uh, preview pages of that. Next. Next up... Uh... Seemingly ripped from the script pages of Marvel Studios' Black Widow, Yelena Belova and the Red Guardian uh, are on the run from the Russian government in the upcoming comic book series Winter Guard. Writer Ryan Cady and artist Jan Dua are bringing the revitalized Winter Guard from the pages of Jason Aaron's current Avengers run in to hunt two of their own. Okay, so you get Red Guardian versus his replacement Vanguard. Right. So basically, because there was a one shot with uh, Yelena and uh, and Red Guardian a few months ago, and this seems seemingly is if I I do remember reading it. And this, I guess, is a a sequel to that, even though this article is not saying as much Uh, because it was definitely teasing. There was something more that was going to uh, happen with these two characters 
uh, together. So that's probably it. Um, Star Wars The High Republic announced its third wave of titles. During this year's Comic-Con at Home virtual convention, Lucasfilm Publishing announced the first batch of titles that will arrive as a part of Wave 3 of the Star Wars High Republic Publishing Initiative. Um, uh, Star Wars The High Republic Wave 3 Phase 1 is set to launch in January 2022. It will consist of three books, one for adults, one for young adults, and one for middle grade readers, as well as a new two-part comic book limited series. Uh, the adult novel entitled uh, The Fallen Star comes from author Claudia Gray and will be published by Del Rey um, Bars. Uh, the YA novel is entitled Midnight Horizon and comes from author Daniel Jose Older. Uh, finally, the middle grade book Mission to Disaster comes from uh, author Justina Ireland. Midnight Horizon and Mission to Disaster both will be published by Disney Lucas Press. Meanwhile, Marvel Comics is set to publish The Eye of the Storm, written by Charles Soule. Uh, the series will consist of two 30-page issues and will delve into the origin story of one Martian Rowe. Wave 2 of Star Wars kicked off back in uh, June with Rising Storm with Kevin Scott and uh, some stuff that's already been out. Next up. Uh, just a quick follow-up on that Red Guardian uh, versus his replacement Vanguard story. Mm-hmm. I did not realize that Vanguard is actually still the original Vanguard, the dude that ran around with a hammer and sickle and a cape. Mm-hmm. That's right. him. Okay. But he's dressed as the Red Guardian now, but he's still using his Vanguard code name. Right. I did not know that. I was just looking at the uh, the Marvel page. I was gotcha. literally looking at a Marvel wiki, actually. Right. And it explained how this character, Vanguard, who was a mutant, who was still a mutant, but used to have a hammer and sickle to focus his power. I remember right? that. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, he doesn't need that now. And now he runs around dressed as Red Guardian. Mm, and I but guess... he still has his powers and calls himself Vanguard, his old code name. So I wonder where that, if, or, or well, if that has come out somewhere else and we just didn't know that, or if that's it going did. to come out. Yeah, okay. we just, yeah, I was about to say, if you look at the wiki, you know, they footnote the page, the, the comics. I'm like, I did not read any of these issues. Right. Well, just out of curiosity, what was it? Oh, when, when this happened? Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, let me double check the footnotes. So um, this happened relatively recently. Okay. In Avengers, actually. That checks out. <laughs> I kind of figured, well, not kind of figured, but I was like, yeah, that seemed like something that would have been a recent thing. Yeah. I just don't remember it. Exactly. And, you know, I just think it's, I think it's wild that, you know, I'm like, why do they keep calling this guy Vanguard? That's not Vanguard. That's Red Guardian. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it does, it, it did happen in the story, which is, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's just kind of wild to me. Like, wow, they're just not even messing around. Like, yeah, we're going to call this guy Vanguard. And, and I'm like, that's not Vanguard. Right. And I guarantee you that was probably something that was like early on in, in Jason's run. And it was just kind of like a, not necessarily a throwaway line, but it was like, oh yeah, da, 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 da. And, you know, they kept it pushing. Didn't make a big deal out of yeah. it. So. You know, I mean, cause we all remember Vanguard and Darkstar being, you know, brother and sister, you know, like twins. Mm-hmm. So that's so weird. 
So anyway, uh, the next story is uh, Binge Books has changed the release date for The Heroes Union Number 1, a new superhero comic from legendary creators Roger Stern, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema. Originally set to release on August 4th, the first issue of The Heroes Union will now arrive in stores a week later on August 11th. The Heroes Union Number 1 issue will have a unique design at 68 pages and comes from binge books created by tv veteran darren henry the calling card for the publisher is delivering comics in a bingeable format for today's audience okay and according looks like according to this um this uh cover page 68 issues of awesome number one at 4.99 um which that's actually a lot of book for that price yep um, and I guess there you go. There's the bingeable part about it because, yeah, 68 pages is a what? It's pretty much an arc. Um, it's pretty, yeah, no, it's like three issues basically, yeah, or half of an arc. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so there you go, goes on sale eight, uh, um, August 11th. Next up, um, bip, bip, bip. Jack the Ripper heads to the Wild West in a new Aftershock series. Uh, Aftershock Comics has officially announced Cross to Bear, a new comic book series by Marco St- Stavanovic and Sinisa Banovic. My apologies for butchering your name. That finds the infamous unidentified British serial killer Jack the Ripper in the American Wild West. Cross the Bear is slated to hit comic shops on Wednesday, October 13th. Uh, Jack the Ripper was never caught because no one was looking for him in the Wild West. No one except for The Order, according to the book's official synopsis. Uh, an organization made up of the descendants of the Crusaders warned to eradicate the unnatural. Uh, the Order will stop at nothing to fulfill the pledge their forefathers made, even if it meant crossing the ocean for a line or two. So there you go. Uh, next. Uh, next up, this October, Aubrey Sitterson and Fico Osio's Dark Horse Comics title No One Left to Fight returns for part two. Um, no One Left to Fight 2 is set to launch in comic shops on Wednesday, October 13th. Uh, the original No One Left to Fight was never intended to be a five-part story, Osio explained during an interview with Entertainment Weekly. The first saga was planned to be a 10-issue story in two parts. Okay. And apparently the first half ended in a brutal cliffhanger so they're looking to dive right back into it all right um if i remember opera citizen wrote one of those volumes of gi joe the from in recent uh recent memory so okay cool uh next up astro city and more kurt busiek stories find a new home where it started image comics uh, comic writer Gert, Kurt Busiek is bringing, bringing almost all of his creator-owned work for the past 25 years to Image Comics. Uh, for some, it's a return. For others, it's long out of print comics getting a new life. Uh, Image Comics has announced that five creator-owned Kurt Busiek series, Astro Boy, uh, excuse me, Astro City, excuse me, not Astro Boy, that's a different one, uh, different series. Uh, Aerosmith with Carlos Pacheco and uh, Jesus Marino. Uh, the Wizard's Tale with David Thorne Wenzel, along with both Shock Rockets and Superstar, as seen on TV with uh, Stuart Eminem and Wade Von uh, Graubadger, you know, sure, uh, will all be released digitally this August through Image Comics. 
quote unquote, I'm thrilled to be cons uh, consolidating my creator owned workbooks as uh, image. Busey said with the announcement. Readers have been asking us to make these stories available again, so we're glad to have them all together at last. And a great company with the rest of the image line. Um, and as, as this article says here, that Astro City and Aerosmith were both published by DC, while the others were published by Image Comics uh, through the now defunct imprint Guerrilla Comics around the turn of the century. Um, I don't think it says when these are going to pop off. Uh, oh, uh, August 4th, uh, specifically. There you go. Next. Next up, the upcoming second act of DC and Audible's Sandman ad adaptation will feature a wide array of new voices. New additions for the Sandman Act 2 include Jeffrey Wright, Reggae, uh, Jean Page, sure. um, Brian Cox, Emma Corrin, John Lithgow, David Tennant, Bill Nye, Kristen Shaw, Kevin Smith, Aiden Turner, B.B. Newworth, Lilith, uh, Adrian Lester, Miriam Margulies, Arthur Darville, and reporter who will join the returning James McAvoy, Kat Dennings, Michael Sheen, and Andy Serkis. Precious. Um, no, along no. with this announcement, Audible confirmed that fans who want to catch up on Act One or who may have missed it initially can listen for free from July 22nd to October 22nd. Those who use Amazon Music can catch episodes one to three. And those with Alexa devices can listen from August 3rd to 31st by saying, Alexa, read the Sandman. Interesting. And congratulations to um, anybody who reads this, after, I mean, who listens to this program after August 3rd and get their, uh, Alexa, uh, <laughs> get their Alexa triggered by what um, Agent 70 just said. Exactly. <laughs> I was about to say, mine didn't go off, so. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool. There's some names involved with this. That's actually pretty cool if you're interested in that universe. Uh, speaking of uh, podcastery type things, Winston Duke to voice star as uh, Bruce Wayne in Batman Unburied. So Winston Duke is heading head, headed from Wakanda to Gotham City. Uh, the Black Panther actor will voice will voice the star. I don't know why I say it like that, but okay, sure, I get it. Uh, in Batman Unburied, the upcoming Spotify podcast that uh, hails from Dark Knight screenwriter David S. Goyer, Duke will star as Bruce Wayne with Harry Potter actor uh, Jason Isaacs joining as Alfred. Uh, but you know who Alfred is, jeez. <laughs> no other cast. How are you gonna say? How are you gonna say Harry Potter star Jason Isaacs? You know how many things Jason Isaacs has been in, right? Especially oh, recently. So I don't know. This is Hollywood Reporter. So don't. don't I don't. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know it doesn't. It, it never makes any sense which how they choose what what they do uh, in these in these situations. So it's kind of funny. Uh, but at any rate, uh, no other castings have been announced, but Spotify is sharing the new plot details about the podcast, which is described as a psychological thriller that dives into the mind of Bruce Wayne and features dark twists and classic Batman villains. And you can read the log line uh, in this article uh, if you so choose. Uh, there's no release date for the podcast, but it'll be one season just like pretty much any other of those type of things. Next. All righty. Next up, 
Longtime Justice League member and super friend Aquaman is the latest iconic DC hero to get the 100-page spectacular treatment to celebrate his 80th anniversary. This goes on sale August 31st to recognize the King of Atlantis's first appearance in November 1941's More Fun Comics number 73. Um, yeah, there's a host of great creators on this. The cover price is going to be $9.99 along with cardstock variant cover edition that will set you back another buck. Okay. Uh, John really teases a Batman development that may change the DC universe forever. Um, I am Batman writer John Whitley, John Ridley, excuse me. Um, I kind of like that. That's funny how, how they're, uh, they're, they're calling him that now, <laughs> as opposed to 12 years of slave John Ridley. But anyway, um, teaser number coming shake up within Gotham city in a pre-recorded appearance at the start of the Batman fear state panel at comic-con at home, 2021 quote unquote. Uh, I did want to take the opportunity to thank you, the fans for all your support of Jace Fox in both future state and Batman second son, uh, who he, who both, which he's written, uh, really said after apologizing for not being able to make a live appearance on the panel, uh, I'm so excited to continue Jace's journey in the new ongoing series, I Am Batman. Uh, Jace begins his adventures in the heart of Fear State, which uh, is going to be the comic event for of the fall and next year. Uh, we have one more surprise for you that is going to change the Fox family and maybe the DC Universe forever. Um, and then this article goes into um, what Fear State is going to be about and talks about Future State, which we've already talked about in the past. Um, so, okay, cool. Next. All right, and last but not least, the 2021 Eisner Award winners were announced uh, earlier uh, in the week at Comic-Con. So host Phil Lamar announced the winners uh, at Comic-Con at home. Just a couple of uh, quick winners. The best short story went to When the Menopausal Carnival Comes to Town by Mimi Pond. Um, best single issue was uh, Sports in Hell by Ben Passmore. Uh, best continuing series is Usagi Yojimbo by Stan Sakai. Shout out. Uh, the best limited series was Superman's Pal Jimmy Olsen by Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber. Uh, best new series was Black Widow by Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande. Cool. Best publication for early readers was Our Little Kitchen by Jillian Tamaki. Best publication for kids uh, age 9 to 12 was Superman Smashes the Clan by Jean Nguyen Yang and Kuri Huru. Best teen publication 13 to 17 was Dragon Hoops by Jean Nguyen Yang. Uh, best humor publication was Superman's Pal Jimmy Olsen by Fraction and Steve Lieber. The best anthology was Menopause, a comic treatment. Um, the best reality-based work was Kent State, Four Dead in Ohio by Durf Backdurf. Okay. Um, the best graphic memoir was The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist by Adrian Tamine. Um, best graphic album new was Pulp by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Best graphic album was Seeds, a reprint was Seeds and Stems by Simon Hanselman. <laughs> Best adaptation from another medium was Superman Smashes the Clan, adapted by Gene Wan Yang and Guru Huru. The best U.S. edition of international material was Goblin Girl by Moa Romanova, translation by Melissa Bowers. 
the best U.S. edition of International Material Asia was Ramina by Junji Ito and translation by Jocelyn Allen. I'm looking to see if there's anything else cool here for me to read because a lot of this stuff is, oh, best writer. James Tinian IV for Something is Killing the Children, Batman, Department of Truth, etc. Best writer artist was Junji Ito for Romina, uh, Venus in the Blind Spot from Viz Media. Okay. Best penciler inker or penciler inker team was Mike Allred for Bowie, Stardust, Rayguns, and Moon Age Daydreams. Okay. And and uh, yeah, best cover artist Peach Momoko. Best coloring, Laura Allred. Yeah, I'm just looking for names I recognize at this point now. I know, but you said a couple of quick, and you just pretty much reading off the list of winners. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but congratulations! I'm to not everybody. reading all the nominations. Well, no, I know, but still, you know, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, there there's some there's some good stuff in here. Um, actually, I kind of i I should do this. Uh, well. Me personally should do this a little bit more because there's every time the items come around and you're just like, well, there's a bunch of some stuff that you know and some stuff that you don't know anything about because it either came out either in another fashion or it's just not in your purview. And some of the right. stuff I kind of really want to like dive into uh, a little bit more heavier, um, you know, just kind of broaden my horizons a little bit more, you know? Sure. Um, so that's why sometimes we bring this up because you know it's uh, it's uh, yeah, like yeah we bring this up for because we know some we know some names that are on this list and sometimes they win sometimes they don't as apparently just the, the one thing I'm I'm seeing here that who didn't win but um, uh, it's good stuff all the way around and worth looking into if you're like you know want to broaden your uh, comic and graphic artist graphic novel uh, horizons. Um, uh, regardless, that is the end of the news section, except for the fact that I'm going to bring this up right now because uh, I don't want to bring this up next week, and I forgot to put it in the show notes. Uh, there was a new Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer that released a couple of days ago, and it's out there if you are so inclined to check it out. Uh, it appears that there might be some familiar faces to the Ghostbusters franchise that may or may not that that may uh, make an appearance in this movie. I was about to say, it's also spoiled by uh, the toy releases. Yes, also. Yeah, I didn't want to mention that right away, but yeah, spoiled by the toy releases. So, uh, you know, we kind of know that uh, some characters are going to be showing their faces that, you know, that that we know. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have it, there's a particular part of the trailer that if they don't have a toy for, I would be surprised if there wouldn't be one coming. Because there there was one particular part of the trailer where people were like, aw. Or oh yeah, uh, in another kind of way, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> given given exactly. the, given the nature of what was going on in that particular scene. Um, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, all right. So, before we get to our last ad read, I just wanted to cover a quick toy corner. Oh yeah, hold on. Each. Let me. So, um, so I've gotten a couple of uh, Marvel Legends in that I've ordered that I pre-ordered like many many moons ago. Finally. So um, I, I mentioned this. I don't know if I showed this on the show yet, but I did get from the Villains Wave, the Marvel Legends uh, Villains Wave, the uh, the new or retro Red Skull with the Zem new head. It's actually a pretty cool figure. I'm, I'm I thought I might regret getting this because I've gotten the the Red Skull with the trench coat that that came out many years ago with the uh, Winter Soldier movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm happy to get this more kind of comic inspired version of the Red Skull. Okay. You know, nice. green with the green jumpsuit. 
Right, right. You know, and it comes with two heads, so which you know it's cool, and 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 uh, sets of hands so that he can actually grasp the uh, the the cosmic cube that it comes with. It's not the Tesseract; it's the Cosmic Cube in the Marvel Universe. Thank you very much. Um, I got my Iron Heart, which is from the Iron Man line. So now I can put up at least four champions from uh, 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 on a display. Mm-hmm. You know, because now we have a Miss Marvel, a come uh, 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 what you call it, uh, uh, Kid Nova. Uh, a Miles, and now we have Ironheart. So basically, just missing Viv- Vision so that for the is, latest nation of the champions. Right. So that is the same one, right? Because the one that, because there were, or was there another version of Ironheart that, that came? Because I know I have one. I can't remember if it's that one or not. And as oh, I think you got this one. Yeah, that's it's what I the one, the Iron Man inspired armor. Yeah, gotcha. it's like the, her original look. Right. Okay. Yeah, that, that means they're going to put out another one with her current, you know, alien armor. Right. So. And uh, last but not least, this is the one I was really looking forward to. It's really cool. I never thought we'd get a figure of this character, uh, although they did do one in the previous uh, uh, the Toy Biz Mo- uh, Marvel Legends. They did do one. It's uh, Yuriko Oyama, otherwise known as Lady Deathstrike. Okay. It's pretty cool. And I'm very, very happy to have this figure so that I can do some uh, some uh, Wolverine uh uh, little uh, what call it uh, displays, mm-hmm. and uh, we only have I believe three Reavers so far. We have a Donald Pierce that came with the Hellfire Club uh, set, and we have a Skullbuster that came as like a random, not a random figure, but you know it was like one of those like kind of one-off figures. Like well, why is this person here? But now we have three Reavers, and uh, we you know that's enough to put a, a little display together. Yeah, there you go. If you so that's so it blind. for Toy Corner for me. Cool, 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 cool. Um, yeah, I'm sure at some point there will probably be more Toy Corner action between one or both of us uh, in the coming season. Uh, that being said, uh, one last ad read, please. Uh, you know what we read when it's late and everyone is tired? Help us keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us and click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, etc. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. And as we come to the close of another exciting episode of this here Comic Book Chronicles, we'd like to thank each and every one of you fine folks for coming out. Uh, we'll be back next week as as, as per usual, I believe. Wait. Mm, ooh, next week is Suicide Squad. I don't know. Well... I don't think either one of us is going to see that in the theaters, but it is going to be on HBO Max, so it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but that being the case, I don't know. It's going to be the 6th. So I don't think it's going to be out. Yeah, it's not going to be out by the time we record, so it'll be the week after for our impressions of mm-hmm. that. So, still normal um, still normal Book Chronicles, like per usual. That being said, I have been Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicats on Twitter. You can find me at News Nerds Need on Twitter. You can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. Uh, I did actually post a couple of things fairly recently, so go check that out uh, on CBCaps uh, Instagram account if you so choose to. 
Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. PC underscore dirt on Twitter. Pop culture nerd on Twitter. Pop culture network.com. Uh, I, uh, in all those umbrella sites they're in, uh, 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 Shoot. Um, he might also be on that Vine per replacement bite under comic reviews, no vowels. Uh, Tim, D-O-G-G-9-8 on Twitter, the Osiris of this ish. You can also find him at uh, CB Cron, which is the Comic Book Chronicles Twitter account. You can also find him at the Click Nation on Twitter. That's V K L I Q N A T I O N, all one word. Excuse me, vclicknation.com. But of course, you can definitely find him um, more often than, than not on comic book resources right in his face off at cbr.com. Uh, you can find this here podcast on the Coastal of the Podcast Network that's cspn.us. Do it today. You could also find this here podcast in your podcast for a place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify. Uh, or the Cole Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And again, next week, same bad time, same bad channel, Thursday nights every week, uh, 9.30-ish p.m. on recording live on uh, both youtube.com slash theclicknation or twitch.tv slash comicbookchronicles. And, uh, yeah, with that, folks, like I said, uh, thanks for coming out. We appreciate you being here. We will be back next week. And as we like to say, this has been the Cumberland Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. Salute me, familia. Salute. Good evening, Rick. Would you believe?